times Tall tales and big lies Fall under your category Get with Aaron and Joe's Cause you know you wanna go And hear them cooking up a story Just get with Aaron and Joe's Hey, you know you wanna go And hear them cooking up a story Welcome to Cooking Up a Story with Aaron and Joe's. Tonight, our guest is Brian Janes, and this episode is brought to you by GWB Hot Sauce. Joe, tell us a little bit about that. Well, I will tell you a little bit about it. So, one of our loyal listeners, Mr. Greg B., has a hot sauce company. And that hot sauce company, as a matter of fact, is named uh, GWB Hot Sauce. It's a veteran-owned company. Um, you place your order today, they'll send your order out tomorrow. They give 20% off to all vets, even if you're in the Space Force. They'll give you uh, they'll give you 20% off. But what we have sitting in front of us, gentlemen, we have three bottles, Bill Walker, three bottles of this hot sauce. We have a GWB West Virginia Red. We have a Golden Ghost. And we have a bacon fire. Now, with that being said, we also have some Walmart brand uh, Ritz crackers. Always safe. Saved a dollar eighty-five by going with the uh, great value. And in today's economy, it's the same shit. Hell yeah! So, but around Joe, why don't we start off with the little golden ghost? We'll place that on some crackers there. Pass them around. And out. Little dollop. And while we're passing around that, I'm going to go ahead and tell you the top three social media interactions last week was from our our dear listener, Dusty Khan. Dusty was uh, very vocal on social media. Coming all the way from the middle of Australia, Mr. Jeffrey Valentine. Jeffrey's preaching the gospel of cooking up a story in Australia for us all the time. And then uh, Matt Kelly. We'll round up the top three. So what we're going to do, what's this one, Bill, the hot sauce? Or this Joe? is a golden ghost. The golden ghost. Got a big old wasper right on there. I'm going to guess the uh, ghost is a, a ghost chili. I'm going to say so. Get you some. Just get you some right on the side of it. Let's, say, we're Let's gonna get, get after some. Once we take a bite, we'll start with you, Rich. We'll give a thorough contri- uh, cr- critique. Critique, <laughs> yeah. Now you got to do it like that where it goes right on your tongue. Yep. And then if it ain't worth the shit, you just say straight up, ain't worth the shit. Same goes with you, Doc. Okay? Got it. Let's Salute. go for it. Mm-hmm. So I like it. The heat comes a little bit after the uh, initial flavor. I like that kind of honey mustard hit at the start with a nice... Uh, heat that comes on it's still coming home afterward but it's not too it's it's not i like hot stuff but it's not like lighten me up doc what do you think what do you think doc oh this needs a pulled pork sandwich to put on Mm. yeah right that was a a good coleslaw and a adult beverage behind it fantastic Mm. so i got the sweetness it's 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 got more sweetness than you would typically get out of a hot sauce and you're right it's a low long burn and the mustard i don't think mustard is front no, nope. no. It's there. The mustard is not pretty the mild, I would say. But you got martini. I think I'm going to get me some. It says right on the side, get you some. Yeah. I like it. I like the sweet. It's not real mustardy. I mean, it looks. It looks like more. baby shit. <laughs> yeah. 
But tastes well, nothing yeah. like baby shit. Doesn't taste nothing like baby shit. It's <laughs> pretty good. I like it. Familiar I with like that flavor? <laughs> I smelt it. I could critique <laughs> off of it. Got some on my hand one time. Bill Walker. This is crying to improve a Texas barbecue. They all put mustard on it, but this would do it. It's really good. I like the sweet on the front, and the mustard kind of wraps around it, and then here comes the heat. And it's not over the top heat either. It's not burning. It's just there. It's yeah. good flavor. Oh, it's good. That needs to be wrapped to like smear around a pork butt before you put it in the smoker. There you and then go. save the other half of it for putting on the sandwich. There you go. I think he could even, you know, I'm not a poultry guy, but I think on a chicken wing. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that would work. That'd be interesting. So Martinez is pouring up the next version. This is a bright red sauce. Bacon fire. Bacon fire. I like both those items. Let's see how it is. That's the only way to cook that bacon is with fire. Bill, we'll start with you on the critique order this time, so that way it's fair. Bill is chewing like an absolute gentleman. An elderly gentleman. The palpable effort of watching him try to chew silently away from the <laughs> microphone. That's got front-end heat on it, as opposed to the last one. Hits the front of your tongue. And it's the bacon's pretty subtle to me. With two, is a little bit on the sweet side. It's really good. Martinez. Well, I ain't tried it yet. I don't. He's over there making an extra for Murphy. <laughs> That's right. That dog's going to be shit and green apples here in a minute. I kind of like it. It's tasty. You kind of like it? That's your full critique. No, I'm not done yet. Oh. Hmm. A little bit of fire, not much. Having a little more on the back end. That's begging for a uh, breakfast burrito. Mm. Yeah, that'd be great on eggs. Oh, I catch... uh, The bacon bacon is pretty subtle. To me, it's more of a cayenne heat. Yeah. Right. You kind of taste that dirty heat in there, you know, Mm -hmm. earthy. So I like this one. I also got a little bit of sweet on. It's definitely got a little more heat than the previous. And I could see going a different direction on a, a little uh, sweet and savory dessert. Maybe you get one of your uh, buttery rounds, throw some Nutella on there, and then top it with a little bit of that bacon fire. That, that'd that be all right. You had me at dessert, lost me at Nutella. That's <laughs> <laughs> right, right there with you, Doc. <laughs> me and Doc's got the same palate. I'm just telling you. So up next on this uh, GWB hot sauce critique, WV Red. We're calling that West Virginia Red, I'm going to say. Virginia. Kind of believing with that B on the label. Not quite as thick as the others. There's a little honey in that hot sauce, right? You can taste it. Martinez is pouring out a perfect portion of this uh, larger bottle for some reason. Must be the best one. It's packaged more like a... uh, Oh, what's the... Like the pickled peppers. You see oh, that? yeah, yeah. You know, that little, that this more, wouldn't, that wouldn't, quite, wouldn't quite as look. thick as the other. It's a little yeah. bit. West Virginia red. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think I got this. For me, this one right here is a finished glaze. And so once I get those ribs just where I want them, I'd go ahead and drizzle this, maybe throw a couple tabs of butter inside there, right? And let those ribs just pull back off the bone a little bit. But I can also see this. It's right here with shrimp. 
and like some bang bang shrimp style kind of thing. You hear me? And then finally, I think that this with the cream cheese put inside that damn pepper or cream cheese and served with a frito. Right. Is money. Drizzled over some poppers right out of the smoker. Mm. So you like that one better than the others, you think? I like, I'm, this is an honest critique. We weren't paid for this. This is a value for value situation right here. I'm going to take the West Virginia, the WV. I'm going to put it in my first. As odd as it sounds for me, I'm going to put the mustard in the second. And I'm going to take the cayenne red sauce as third, but they're all pretty tight. What do you got, Doc? I'm not usually a mustard guy, but I, I've got some. I'm going to be ordering some of that. I got some plans for it. There's going to be a campfire meal for Snake Mountain Pat Goats. It's got mm. heavily in it. That's great sauce. It is. And then the other one for, uh, like I said, breakfast burritos. Mm -hmm. Rich? So on the uh, WV Red, I like that. Uh, I could see going in another direction. Bloody Mary, boy. Well, there's that. Now that you mention it, but do some, uh, you, you mentioned cream cheese, do a, a, a brick of smoked cream cheese and then finish with that mm -hmm. serve that up with some crackers. Uh, if you, for my ranking, I would actually probably put the, uh, the mustard sauce first, the red second, or no, I'd probably go mustard, bacon, fire, and then red. But to Joe's point, they're, it's such a tight grouping. Right. It, it's all kind of in the first. And, right and they're there. all such different styles. I'm right there with you. I don't know what it is about the mustard sauce. but I, It's but a damn good it's mustard good. sauce. It's really good. And I mean, that's my favorite. But like you say, they're all tight. I'm not sure. I'm. It's kind of a toss-up between second and third on me. But I think I would have to go with the bacon just because the bacon. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and if anybody's opinion matters, it's, of course, going to be William Redwards Walker who, little known fact, Bill seasoning is inside of all the Dolly facilities, Dollywood, all of that stuff, Stampede. Bill's flavor profile is well known by big-breasted blonde women who wear gloves. <laughs> all over the world. Well, I'll have to just say thank you very much for all of that endorsement, <laughs> but I, I love rubbing those little breasts five million times a year. Chicken you. breast, of course, and a little pork loin and some ranch potato seasoning. And But right here with the GWB hot sauces, I'm with the boys in the majority here. I'm, I'm going with the mustard first. I don't usually have a mustard sauce of any sort around the house, but I like mustard, and this is really, really good. Then I'm hanging with the bacon and riding out with the West Virginia Red. And as Joe mentioned, it would make a killer finishing glaze on, mm -hmm. on some ribs. I was thinking like, They're all I was thinking up. wings. Oh, yeah. Right when wings oh, yeah. your wings out of the smoker, roll them in that, put them on the grill and caramelize mm -hmm. some of that honey off of there. So so we got to do a live test with it, with the smoker and food involved. Yeah, that's, that's coming up in the very near future. Yeah. We'll go ahead and settle some, uh, some business right off the bat. So... Aaron Cook has been with us all the way up to episode 102. Yeah. Yeah. All the way up to 102. He's ran into some life-changing problems, and Aaron is on a uh, indefinite leave. Right? Sabbat sabbatical. 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 If Aaron ever gets to the point where he thinks that it's wise for him to sit in that chair again, we will let Aaron sit back in the chair. But in the meantime, just so happens... Rich, who we brought in here a couple months ago, 
has uh, like pedigrees and degrees and certificates saying that he can handle what we do. Been the horse races. Been to the horse races in Beaumont. And uh, so so Rich is falling in where Aaron left off. If this episode sucks, the sound and everything. Blame it on him. Send your critiques about Rich. Our guest this week is who, Rich? Our guest this week is Brian James, affectionately known as Doc. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to follow in the footsteps that were uh, set out before me, and I'm going to keep it going the way Aaron would have. So, Doc, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you are now, a little bit about how you grew up and how you got to to this point in life. Well, uh, we we currently live down in the Boston Mountains uh, after a stint in the military. Uh, I joke that I'm not wasn't born down here, but I got here as fast as I could. That's right. Yeah, refugee out of the Midwest originally. Um, and the doc, Nam de Guerre, is from, uh, I was a military combat medic. That's a, uh, combat medic is an amazing task. It's, uh, what's that song that's just come out in the last year? You know what? You're stomping me. Really? Have you never heard this song about the medic? Apparently not. Huh. All right. Well, who is you, it? You going to play it and get me all choked up here or what? Yeah, yeah, I think I could. Stand by. Uh, keep talking. I'll find it while you talk. Could you tell us, go childhood and I'll find the medic deal. Yeah, where were you born? Uh, I grew up in central Indiana. Born, born and raised there. And then uh, got out as soon as I could. I got tired of looking at soybeans and cornfields. You know, at least every other year it changed. They went from corn to well, soybeans, even, soybeans yeah. to corn. Yeah, yeah, crop, ro- yeah crop, crop rotation, rotation. was our scenic <laughs> variety. Uh, grew up uh, doing a little everything, hunting, fishing. Uh, had my first boat when I was like six years old. For some reason, my parents thought that would be a good idea. Yeah, instead of just wandering out there without a boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah I had a little 10-foot. Uh, fiberglass V-bottom John boat named Sinkable with a trolling motor on the back. And parents were just like, yeah, uh, stay where you can see the shore. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So were you in a like lake or river? Yeah, or? yeah we had a, we had a camper on a, a couple different lakes growing up. You know, just pull a camper up to the campground and leave it there for the season. I got you. Well, we're going to dive into a pile of stuff because this guy's a hell of a cook. He's got some mutual friends, uh, guests that's been on the show. But I'm going to play you a little tune. It's called They Call Me Doc. All right, let's go. And uh, who's, who's it by? This is by oh, uh, Aaron Lewis. Oh, gotcha. Plus, it's got a little bit of Vince Gill in it. There's a reason I don't listen to those. Because I've <laughs> seen it all. I held heroes who fall. And picked them up till they So that is a brief little uh, story about what a doc is in the military, man. It's one of the 
it's one of the the jobs that you hope you never need to administer and as a soldier you hope you never need but those guys and and gals who are in charge of plugging holes and fixing stuff and administering stuff to make you forget what just happened is a, is a critical element um does both the best job and the worst job yeah a lot of pain in that job there uh yeah a lot there of pain is. in that job so Doc's got his service dog sitting here. You'll hear it rattle and shake every now and again. It's uh, that, that would be some of it right there. Yes, yeah, it's yeah. finding out. So As Matt, he about knocks our table over. <laughs> he so me. when you joined the the military, is that the is that the position you were looking for? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I wanted that position, and I wanted it in an infantry unit, and I got it. Okay. And the idea was I would go and deploy a time or two, and then come back and go for the uh, physician's assistant route. I did the first two, didn't get to the physician assistant route. Were you an EMT or paramedic prior to going? That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, I, I had my EMT and stuff before I went in. So as a civilian? Yeah, yeah. On the civilian side, correct. I got you. And so what kind of training, how long is the training to become a medic? Uh, at the time I went through, it was after basic, it was four months, but they had an accelerated program for people that already had their national registry right. for EMT or paramedic. Mm. So that was shortened down to... Half the time, two, right. and a half, two months, two and a half months, I think. I gotcha. Well, so this is circa 06. Gotcha. And so when you're going through this training, is are they beating down the door to, to have this job? Like, is there people applying to get that position? Oh, yeah. It's uh, At the time, they had two simultaneous classes of people running. Gotcha. Because, well, it was right before the surge, so they, you know, if you were in combat arms or a combat medic or a couple other MOSs, they were definitely trying to get all that they could, and there was people filling every spot. So do you tie yourself in with a battalion, or what, how's, how's that work? Um, a battalion has roughly uh, four companies, a headquarters company and then Alpha Bravo Charlie company. The Alpha Bravo Charlie are going to be infantry units, in, my, in the case for my unit, and then headquarters. Headquarters is your admin people, scout snipers, um, Supply, artillery, and medics. Gotcha. So, how, so how many people overall? Um, it would be roughly 36 to 40 people um, in an infantry platoon, and that would have one medic for them. I got you. And then four of those, make a, four platoons make a company, and a company will have four medics and then one medic uh, E5 sergeant type. I got you. So at any given time, you've got 36 patients? Yeah, I got 36 toddlers with machine guns and, 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 and hand grenades to, that are all, you know, between 18 and 25 years old. To, so are you working coughs, colds, runny nose as well? Um, everything from sports injuries to hangovers and from hangovers to hangnails to guys that need two tourniquets at a time. I got you. Depending on whether we're in garrison, what training we're doing, or if we're in combat. I got you. And so is it an automatic deal? Like if you were the cook on a chuck wagon, you would automatically be called cookie. If you're a, a medic, are you automatically doc? Uh, no. Um, you're just, you're always the fucking new guy. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> until, until you actually prove yourself. Right. And that's either going to be like a, a mass casualty event where you got to come in and the whole platoon song over and give everybody IVs right. and not screw it up. <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, you got to prove your value at which so, point they will... You know, right. bequeath you with the name Doc. 
Yeah. As an honorific. So what do you do? What do you give for a hangover? I'm just asking for a friend. Oh, IV, uh, IV fluids. And we have things called banana bags, which are just IV fluids with uh, so more electrolytes in them. And the hangover is basically just you're dehydrated, right? Most of it, yes. Yeah. Amazing how you can it's, drink it, all night and still wake up thirsty. Yeah, <laughs> uh, absolutely. And we were doing it. We'd like drink till five in the morning and have 10 mile death run at 630 because we're morons that are, you know, 25 year old men. Hell yeah. <laughs> huh. So... How long after you, so you went through standard boot camp and then you went into the medic program? Correct. So how long after you went and become a medic were you deployed? Uh, 31 days. Wow. Wow. I got to my unit and was sent over as a replacement. And it was like 31 days from signing into Fort Lewis. I was in Kuwait waiting on transport up into Iraq. Gotcha. So you were there for the initial surge? No, I went over, well, for the surge in uh, 07. Gotcha. Gotcha. It would have been very early 07. So, as I recall, when we first attempted this Iraq deal, it was kind of a wash. We just kind of rolled in there, and it was it it, it wasn't like uh, what was going to happen. No, great at invading, bad at nation building. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> we we try to nation build long enough. We will develop an insurgency at some point. Right, they'll figure it out at yeah, some point. And then we get another reason to stay for fifteen more years. Yeah, Roger that. Roger that. So you deployed 31 days after you were officially a medic. Yep. And I, I imagine at the onset of this deal, you were probably helping babysit. I was sent over as a replacement for a, a medic who could no longer service function. I got you. And there and there's a high there's a high uh, stress, high mental. Uh, what am I looking for here, Rich? Burden. 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 It's deeper probably than a burden. It's an actual... Burden's a good word for it, but it's it's reciprocal. Yeah. You know, the, my guys know I'm going to take care of them, and they're not going to let anything happen to Doc either if they can prevent it, you know? You, you know, maybe one of the differences between what these guys are doing and what your standard EMT or paramedics doing across the country, which, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of all those people, is in a small town, say, like, Gravit, Hiawassee, there's a good possibility that whoever's running that ambulance knows the majority of the people or at least has ran across them at the come and go or at school function or whatever. And so the small town paramedic medic is is connected to the people. When you're in a group of 36 people, you're more than connected. Those That's your family. Those are your brothers. Absolutely. And so... As a, as a mental part, it would be like Martinez being the doctor of all of us and him having to plug holes in Rich when Rich gets shot, work through that deal, put tourniquet on me, plug holes in me. Or, or step over you because he knows he can't help you and can't help him. Right. right. And so your connection to your patients is a brotherly deal. Yeah, very much so. Mm. Which again, blessing and burden. Yeah, right. Because you, you, I know everything about this guy health wise. Right. By the time we've worked together, you know, exactly. I, you know if I hadn't went over his replacement, it would have been a twelve month workup where I'd worked and lived with these guys. I'd yeah. know that I'd know like their social security numbers, every out medical allergy they've got, if they're left or right handed, what meds they're on, all of it. That's amazing. Dude. Which, when I go to treat you, is very pertinent. Exactly. On the other hand. You know, that definitely affects my ability not to get um, 
you know, to try to stay rational and unemotional right. so I can give the best care. Exactly. Yeah. That's definitely a push-pull thing going on. And yeah. so even on a, a triage setup, as you're sitting there and say we all went down, I know I'd help Bill first. <laughs> no, I'm just, Age man. before beauty is that how we're rolling? <laughs> That's what it it's is. our triage methodology <laughs> around here. I'm game. I'm gonna play. Game. I, I'm just saying, from a triage deal, man. If your homeboy is laying there, and then some other guys that you're real close with, but this is your dude, you would tend to want to help him first because you're more connected. But in the field, triage means that you're breaking down who's in the worst position, right. going from worst to least separating that whole deal. Trying to do the most good for the most people with the limited supplies I've got on my back and the right. knowledge I've got in my head. And how far is like, a, for you as a medic, if you get in a hostile situation and you got multiple casualties, how far out is it for backup? Um, Iraq was very, very close. We could have within five minutes of something going on, there's air evac coming. Our quick reactionary force is is rolling out to us. And I don't think we ever had a patient transport from like, from bang until dropping them off at the cash, the combat support hospital of more than like maybe an hour. Mm. Now in Afghanistan, it'd be, yeah, could be 12 hours. I was never, right. I was never there, thankfully. And you said you made the comment, what you have on your back. How, I mean, how much stuff did you have on you? I mean, as far as. Uh, 40 to 60 pounds in an aid bag, depending on how many IV bags of fluid we've got. And then I've got, everybody carries their own individual first aid kit on their person, like every soldier. Um, right. So I have that to treat out of my backpack, and then we've always we're always stashing supplies and vehicles, right. so that you know if I can get to that first vehicle, I've at least got another trauma pack in there that I, I can grab and either exactly. toss to somebody, my first responders helping, or use myself on people. And there's other people who are trained in first aid. Correct. Yeah, there's a sign like litter bearers, and uh, they're called CLS Combat Lifesavers, and it's the medic's job to train those people in your platoon. Mm. I got you. Now, <clears throat> with all these supplies you had, did you have everything you needed or were there times when you had to get somewhat creative with how you treated people because you didn't have exactly the tool or exactly the bandage or whatever? Um, part of the job is being MacGyver, of course, but you can do like for point of point of injury. It, I've, I've got the stuff that I can if it's fixable. You know, like if you're if you get a pulse when I get to you and through the use of the tourniquets, uh, sealing chest wounds, stuff like that. So stop. I can do a pretty good job with just the basics and a little bit of knowledge. So stopping the bleeds Correct. focus number one. Yep. And once you plug a hole or shut off the blood flow to a limb, you're starting to you're starting a victory run. But if you're just sick. plugging a hole, I mean, does that does that not just create internal bleeding? Or is that still you want to plug okay. it? Hole? Depending on what you use to plug it, and at how, that point you don't well even know what what the injury is. I guess. Yeah, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But in a blast injury, could be anything, you know. Right. But it's it's my job to stabilize you and get you to the next level of care. And like I said in Iraq, we could do that in an hour at right. at the outside. Right. So, <clears throat> how many tours? Two tours. Two tours. Medic both times. Correct. Yep. The same same imagery unit. Wow. Did you make it all the way back home in yeah. between? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had a a year a year of training in between. Oh, okay. You'll, you'll come home from a deployment as a unit, take roughly one month of block leave, come back and very quickly start your next training, your training workup, which is 
12 to 18 months. Do you have any interaction with with newbies coming in during that oh, time? Yeah, yeah. And you that's when they when a unit comes back, generally the people that are getting out or going to different commands will do so then and they'll be, you know, two weeks or a month after block leave where you're getting new people in and getting their signed for their gear and very, you know, all just the administrative shuffling of moving personnel around and that's when we first meet them. Do you try to mentor these people right off the bat and for were you forewarned on what you were getting into or like before Yes and no. Go ahead with that. Uh you knew like I knew about what our deployment schedule was going to look like a year out roughly, you know. So I could tell you what my next two years of life are going to look like on a broad spectrum but not on a day to day. Gotcha. Um the new people we get newbies in like if we get a new medic in they would try to not give us more than one new medic per five-man team of medics assigned to that company, you know, the four plus one sergeant, so that we never, we always, we had as much continuity as we could, you know. So, like, between three medics and a sergeant, we could square away a new medic fairly quick if they're not a moron. Right. Right. And there's probably going to be a few morons. <laughs> the, the military <laughs> is just a cross-section of America. It is. So the same number of dummies you run into at Walmart <laughs> is about the same number of dummies you're going to find it. So, uh, in the Army. So, you know, here, here's how I'm, I'm playing brain games with myself on this. And so if I just spent a tour over in the desert and went through some stuff and it exceeded my expectations of what I... I mean, obviously, you know that you're going to deal with pain, you're going to deal with trauma, and you're going to deal with death for signing up for the deal. You're also going to deal with healing, making people better, and getting them to a doctor who can work on them. Um, so you got your wins and losses in that. Obviously, just seems like in our game, you know, both in in combat and in medicine, that our wins and losses are more stark than about any other venue I can think of. Well, you probably don't give yourself very many attaboys for your wins. Well, and it only takes, you know, one, oh, fuck, to take care of a thousand attaboys. That's right. You know, whether with your reputation or in your own head, with your own confidence and right. all that. Huh. So, uh, two tours. Are you out of the military after two tours or are you sticking I out? did uh, four years active, which was the, the two tours, and then went over to a National Guard posting for the state of Washington. Gotcha. For, uh, Somewhere between 18 months and two years. So two-year contract with the state of Washington went broke while I was there. And anybody that had less than a year on their contract, if they would give up their back pay that the state owed them, they would just send you a DD-214 and you were done. Wow. So I took that option. So how'd you end up in Washington? I was stationed out of Fort Lewis. Fort Lewis, now uh, Joint Base Lewis-McChord. It's up there in Olympia, Washington. Oh, beautiful. Oh, well, they make spe that spectacular. Beer. Yes. Well, they make Olympia not, not, beer. Not far, not far from the old brewery building, actually. Right. Yeah, that's beautiful country. So are you... Once you get out of the service, are you thinking you still want to be medic? I had a pretty good opportunity to go to PA school at University of Washington. They've got they're a they're a part of the uh, Harborview Healthcare System up there, and we did some cross training. Um, we got snowed in a couple of medics, and I got snowed in with the chief of the chief of surgery up there, and we ended up just working ER shifts like straight through for forty eight hours while the stuff's coming in and I got to know him. And then we did some uh, work with a type of blood volume expander. Um, it ended up not really going anywhere, but we did a presentation on it to, to him and his, the people in the ER just because we're stuck there. Right. And it impressed him enough, but he's also on the admissions board for U, uh, University of Washington's 
all their medical programs. Is it a good crossover from going straight from battle into an emergency room working on civilians? Again, yes and no. Um, your the emergency room has rules. Gotcha. <laughs> Nurses can do this. Phlebotomists can do this. Surgeons can do this. Right. Anesthesiologists can do this. As a military medic, I could literally do anything that I thought would provide care. Huh. As long as I was working on DOD personnel, contractors, you know, anybody over there in theater or if I see a car wreck on post or whatever, if I can figure it out with my brain and I think it's going to help and I got the gear on my, in my trauma pack to do it, go for it. Wow. So it's, it's, it's different. So you're holding back, I guess, in the ER. You are. It's a much more structured existence. Right. There was things like a gunshot wound comes in. I've done more of these than anybody there. Yeah, mostly. Yeah. There's some old, you know, it's Seattle. So they've been, yeah. There's some pretty pretty good trauma <laughs> surgeons up there, you know, that the seeds of gun stuff. But um, like most small towns, you know, they're dealing with the guy's tractor that fell off the jack and right. just crushed his legs. They don't get too many gun right. and knife show stuff, no blast injuries. Right. You know, you so think I, had, I had a limited skill set compared to those guys. I mean, but don't ask me if you come in with you know, pancreatitis or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hemorrhoids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just not, I'm just not the guy for, at the time for that medical stuff as opposed to the trauma right, stuff. Right, So if you, if you date this back in history, I mean, just in American history, every war that we've ever fought, and, and I'm saying back to when we were fighting the Redcoats, there's medics in the field. And uh, it, it was a savage thing back then. And it, Sounds like short of some morphine and some other drugs, you're basically. I bet they probably didn't have that. No, they they didn't. But you're basically. No, no, yeah, not not in Florence Nightingale days. They didn't. <laughs> they did not have morphine. <laughs> but you're dealing with the same basic shit, right? A gunshot wound. They're trying to stop the bleed. They're if they got to, they're sawing something off. And yeah, uh, that, that was the amputation back then was generally a measure because they didn't have uh, any penicillin or antibiotics. Right. And that's so even if a gunshot you. goes all the way through you, it, you've had this uniform on. You know, it's. August in Tennessee, and you've had yeah. this wool pair of wool pants on for yeah. four weeks, and you just had a piece of that cloth go into your, exactly. you know, your pelvis or something. You're not going to, or your leg. Yeah. You're going to have some nasty infection in there. So that's why a lot of those amputations were taking place. Exactly. Just back to save you. Yeah. Cut, yeah, the, bad, and cut you, the bad spot off. And I just rubbed my eyes after the, after the hot sauce. <laughs> yeah. Well done. So those, I, just, I just thought my story was like, was, you, were, you were texting hey, you by at, this. Can you look at my eye real quick? <laughs> so, those guys back in the day, It's gonorrhea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every time somebody pulls a doc aside and was like, hey, can you take a look at this? Yeah. I know exactly what it's going to be. <laughs> at some point, Crab they're going to look diarrhea. Yeah, they're going to look awkward and pull their pants down. <laughs> it's just a thing. You get 900 men in a battalion. Every Monday morning was kind of a crapshoot. Yeah, I've got these <laughs> old crapshoot. Crap yeah, <laughs> either way. I've got these old clear ticks crawling around on me. Yeah. So those medics back in the day, man, when you studied up on that, you know, they'd pull out that saw and you weren't the only one who was getting cut by that thing. They were just lining them up and dropping limbs left and right. Yeah, they just give you a piece of leather to chew on. So you didn't yeah, you're them. lucky if they gave you a shot of whiskey at a time. Yeah. Yeah. And Speaking of that. And so the need of it as it progressed, you know, we went through all of all of those 1800 wars, got into the Civil War, which was just a massacre of men. Mostly and, for health reasons. Well, granted, but. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. The Even today, you will have far more people we send out of theater for illness as opposed to, to injury. And, okay, guess the number one uh, cause of injury 
to leave the battlefield in Iraq circa 07. Sprained ankle. Yes, from playing basketball. Is it really? Yeah. yeah. I remember that, that one coming across. Because we got to keep track of our numbers uh, for accountability, how many offer injury, illness, mental health, whatever. Yeah. And I saw, I remember seeing that end of the year stat that the, we couldn't play basketball anymore on the FOB because that was the number one I, reason that we were losing soldiers was. I could see that. So it, as, as a medic, as the doc out there, when you're in the field, are you working on, do you see mental illness in the field? Like you see stairs and, and we, uh, I'll give one of you a chance to look up the name. Um, Staff Sergeant Bobby Bales, B-A-L-E-S. That's Rich's job. He doing the, is he the young Jamie of the show? Yeah, yeah. I know he's got a Wikipedia page. But you're asking about it. I just, just like go to this one for the mental health. And what was it? What Bales? Robert. 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 And the probably first thing to pull up would be a picture of him. Bill's got it. The, Bill's got it. This is him. An American mass murderer and former army sniper who fatally shot or stabbed at least 16 Afghan civilians. Yep, I deployed with him twice. That was our unit. And Whoa. he was in your he, unit. He, oh, he, he's he was, a good-looking fellow too, let me tell you. He was he was I was deployed with him the first two times of his and then after after my second deployment our unit went to Afghanistan for the first time. And that's where that event took place. He snuck off post twice and killed 16 or 19. It says 16 counts okay. here. Could you see it on him? Well, he had, before that deployment, he had went to mental health people on Fort Lewis and asked for help. And they said that you're already, since you're already, it's called Green for Go. You go, you do all the checklist for the Army stuff and they track it. And if you're, like an officer will, is held accountable for how many, their stats, if they're green, for ready to deploy or if they're not. Okay, so they're so, checking out saying yep. that you're clear, you're clear. And they said clear. that since he'd already cleared, he was going to have to go and shouldn't be sh shirking his duty. And now and he's, he's like my life sentence in Leavenworth. Right. And my understanding of it, which I have not verified, but it keeps coming up in like our, you know, just in our fringe group, our peer group, is that part of his plea bargain to take the death penalty off the table was that he was not allowed to bring up mental health Whoa. in his in his trial. Whoa. Because the only, the those doctors at Fort Lewis... Told him he was still going. He said, I'm not ready to go. I can't. And he was a platoon sergeant. I'm like, I can't go. I can't wow. lead my men. This, my headspace and timing is not right. You'd mentioned that there might have been more than 16. Well, there were six injured, but 16 fatalities. Okay. Okay. Mm. And the only, uh, that doctor that said he was still going, that mental health professional, got a letter of reprimand in their file for a year. Mm. And that was all the punishment. Uh. Mm. And so you'd had conversation with the old boy? You knew him? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I spent uh, not a lot of time in combat, but in garrison, I, was, I, I went to... You have to have a medic at every range if there's going to be gunfire or right. explosives. <clears throat> so I got to know, like, all of the... Wow. You know, most of the NCOs at our whole battalion, I knew. I'd, wor I'd worked with at some point. And I'd worked with him uh, and the scout snipers uh, quite a few times. So when that happened, I mean, did you... Have that, or yeah, yeah, I could kind of see that. Or did just well, it was it. it was just more anger at the whole the army, you know, right. because they, the they army fa they was failed covering. him. They failed him. They tried to cut, you know, they covered it up. And they fucked him. Right, right. And I, I'm sure that wasn't helpful for the remaining troops. I'm sure there was some additional animosity exactly. toward y'all 
after that occurred. Okay, I, I was not on that deployment. It was the one after. Oh, okay. I, 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 I just got out right before that. Mm. But it was, uh, I, would, I would have to think so. Yeah. So the question- they, My understanding is they pulled the whole unit out oh, wow. after that to hold the investigation and rotate. I don't know if they rotated them home or just rotate them to someplace else in Afghanistan. Right. So the question was, do you have to treat mental illness in the field? Yeah, and my entire cool kid's a hug and a high five. Gotcha. Maybe, maybe share some Copenhagen with them if I've got some stash in my aid bag or something. I got you. Huh. Because, you know, we've had, over the last hundred shows, we've had some veterans on the show that, uh, I mean, they were the, the real deal. Uh, they there was no doubt about it. These guys seen, did, acted in some serious hot events. And uh, whether they admitted it at that time or not, at some point being home, they realize it. And that's where the PTSD or whatever, three or four letters it's going by now because it seems to morph and change right. with the years. Um, we had a doctor on the show named Sarah Knife Chief. And Sarah has a pretty good average. I believe at the time she was on the show, she had treated like 100 people with PTSD. And she was 100% successful. And it wasn't through narcotics. It wasn't through a big brown sack from the VA. She didn't like psychedelics or what other alternate treatment? She, yeah. Yeah. <coughs> she has means and methods. Um, some of them are is simple as basically sugar and baking soda that she was injecting in these points. And since we had Sarah on the show, I bet you there's been, yeah, we've had, several. I had, I had a listener yesterday send me a deal wanting her information. We've had a, probably a dozen people reach out to her and the psychedelics are, are part of it. But this one thing that she's doing, I can't explain it. She explained it on the show. Was it like ganglion block stuff or shit? I don't know. Okay. I think it, I think that might be it. It was basically I there's a point like to that, but right where your neck and collar come together that she was placing these injections in there and like on the ride home, people were feeling better. You know, they were able to lose a lot of heavy that they had on them. So it's a, it's a real deal, man. And and I know you do volunteer work to better yourself, to ease yourself, and to help others. And that's a huge part of who you are as an individual. Um, I, I think we recognize it. Well, let, let me ask you this. Do you think it, it was as uh, common, say, for a World War II vet to have that kind of tra traumatic injury? I would think it was way more common. We just... Four million people got mobilized and were gone until it was done. Right. You don't go right. home. Yeah. There's, you know. That's, right. The tour yeah, we're all, is we're all going home on the, when this thing's over with. You bet. Yeah. And you then know. maybe not. You might be going to the Pacific if you're in the European theater. Right. And just go, oh, my gosh, this isn't really over. I got to go where? Yeah. I, I, yeah, absolutely. That would be. It was. I, I definitely think it's just one of those things that either men just, you know, tried to be stoic about it or it wasn't recognized. But my own grandfather, my namesake, uh he was in the Hurtgen Forest in World War II, which was just this miserable place where they fought through and, the, you know, it was wet and cold. And when they got out, the Germans were waiting on them. And, like, there's no way in hell we're going back into that forest. So they just charged ahead. 
And he would never really talk about World War II. It wasn't until he died that we found out some of the uh, accolades he had received. But I, he and my grandmother slept in twin beds mm-hmm. because he would come up swinging if yep. anybody tried to touch him. When, and my dad told me that uh, a lot of times he would hear him late at night and he kept a bottle of whiskey in the pantry and he would go in there and just chug whiskey so that he could finally calm down and go to sleep. And during the day, he was, he was a great grandfather, a great dad by all accounts. You so know, he just dealt could, with uh, it. Yeah. Yeah, he just but, dealt with it. But, you know, still, you know, that was uh, – it's it's hard. You know, I've never been there, but, you know, I can't imagine right. having to deal with that. Well, you know, you watch – we've got very few World War II guys still standing, right? But there's a multitude of documentaries that are filmed of these guys. And they could be 93 years old telling the story and you could still see the pain on their face yeah. after they're there. Yeah. After 70 story, years, yeah. Yeah. The, the pain is still there. One of the things as men that we've done is, is we figured out that we could talk out loud and talk to, talk to guys, right? We could talk to our buddies. We hell, sometimes we could talk to strangers and it, it happens quite frequently to where, you know, a stranger will come in and you can kind of see it on their face that they're struggling a little bit. And if, if you ask them and they tell, well, you just listen. And cause maybe this dude ain't going to tell that story to every son. Of exactly. Bitch. Yeah. It, it might be the first time he's had the balls to it tell might. it. Yeah. yeah. And whenever he decides to tell it and he airs it out, I mean, instantly, there's there's a partial burden of this that's that's relieved because dude's been holding it in and I think World War II guys were struggling to hold that shit in for didn't want to show a sign of weakness a, a current warrior doesn't want to show a sign of weakness to a, say that I cry I had an experience with a World War II veteran when I found my father's materials uh, I went to back to Helena where he was from and I went to see this man, Mr. Morris, that I'd known all my life and I knew he served and I wanted to tell him about dad. And when I sat down there, he was a pilot in World War II. And I wished next time when I want to go tell somebody something, I want to take a recorder because the story he told me was phenomenal. He said that he was, he became farsighted during the war and they took him out of being a pilot. And he told me about the options that they had. They'd have meetings in the morning about strategic bombing of of uh, military sites, strategic bombing of infrastructure to shut down their capability to operate, or carpet bombing. And I said, well, which one did you do? He said, oh, carpet bombing, because the other two, you'd, you'd be closer to getting shot down. And then when he said he, he went farsighted, they took him out and put him right into infantry. And he was walking down the street way over there somewhere in Europe, and I think he was in France. And he, he looked down in the gutter, and the water was flowing through, and he found a a wrapper to a, a fruitcake that's made in his own hometown. And he said that was the one thing right there that gave him the connection to not just lose it all. Just yeah. that one simple, right. strange something thing. Something from home. Yeah, yeah, something from home. But I know that's way off the path of Doc's story, but it, you mentioned in World War II. Well, hear someone tell those pilot stories. to infantry. Talk about out of the fr- out of the frying pan into the fire. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Yeah. Well, you might get carpet bombed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, we've talked about the bond that that men need through friendship and this tight circle and guys that you could call. Maybe it's a place you could crash on a couch. Whatever it is, it's it's that. Were you were you a member of a team growing up, or did you play sports? Were you 
were you in? I, I did not do team sports. I did uh, individual sports, martial arts growing up. So you did martial arts. You spent yeah. a lot of time in the woods as oh, yeah. well. Was you in the FFA? No. <laughs> I just thought maybe you did in the Midwest. Yeah. So, so you spent a lot of time in solo activities, whether it was taking a dog and your rifle or shotgun heading out. And so you knew what it was like to be alone. Yeah. And uh, one of the theories is, is a lot of guys don't know how to be alone because they were on a sports team with their buddies. They won football games through elementary school, middle school, high school. And then they went from that into the military to where they're on a team. And they got hangovers, got drunk, partied, listened to crazy-ass music real loud, and fought in horrific battles together. And then when all of that shit ends and you're no longer on a team, when you come home, that loneliness is whenever the onset of some serious brain trauma starts coming out. And we've talked to guys, you know, it could, it could be a sound, it could be a smell, it could be a, a color of, it could be all kinds of shit. But like certain smells will spark a guy. It could be diesel fuel, right? Because that day when the shit hit the fan, they were smelling diesel exhaust. And the smell of diesel exhaust, boom, sparks them. Um, and instantly you think you don't want to be a pussy. <laughs> like, oh, of course. Yeah. I don't want to be a puss. Hell, you know, I'm broken, but I don't want to be a puss. Well, and you're, you're so much, especially if anything we go into it between like 18 and 25 years old, that is that manly. Right. Is becomes your identity. Mm. You know, there's a lot of guys that get out, like you say, you went in at 18, you come out at 38, you did your 20, you're retired. That's the only thing you know. That's that's all you know. That, that's your tired. Not just like what you know was like occupationally, but it's who you. It, know. it, it is who you are. You bet. Yeah. yeah, that's the only you that you know, and it's who surrounds you. Yeah, and all of a sudden now you're just cast adrift. Like so why? Um, what's it called? Where they kick you off out of your village? Not is it exile? Uh, exile. Yeah, exile. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's why that was such a powerful punishment. Mm-hmm. You bet. Be cast alone into the wilderness without the people around you to help you. You're fucked. Yep. Yeah. You know, and when you you were self exiling. A lot as veterans when we come home, yeah. Until you find a new tribe and a new mission, yeah. The you've read the Sebastian Younger book, Tribe. 100%. Yeah, I yeah. preach about that book a lot. Yeah, and you got to find a new tribe, and once you find a new tribe, if it's the right tribe, you'll get a new sense of mission out of it. You know, we've talked about that book several times, and and Sebastian was <laughs> he was the media. He was in with the guys. He was out there. He didn't have a gun. He was standing next to the guns. And it took, he was on subway or something when it hit him. Yeah. And he realized that he had PTSD. And then he come up with this whole theory about tribe and the value of tribe. And, and currently in our American society, they're trying to criminalize tribe. They're saying that. Yeah, that, that's not conspiracy. Yeah, that you, yeah, that you know, this yeah. tribe, this tribal deal to where you bond with people, you're thinking the same thoughts, you got the same emotions, same feelings is a bad deal. Um, tribe's the only thing that could save some people, right? Absolutely. And you know, I was talking to a good friend of mine this morning, and he's uh, he has a nonprofit that's based off of building community, 
And I told him, you know, for the longest time, I told people I was a community guy, that I, I really like community. And I said, that's, that's not the truth, because I said the way that community is being sold to me right now on the TV, there's a black community. There's a gay community. There's all these damn communities. And my community has every son of a bitch in it. You know, it's, it's you, you got segregation. You don't have a community. And if you want a real community, you've got to have the strong, the weak, the the rich, the poor. You got to have all of that stuff in there or it ain't a damn community. Which is an interesting point in history for all of us sitting at this table because we're all old enough to have grown. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm assuming some things about your age, Doc, but we're at least the other four of us were old enough to grown up through a time when we saw things go from more, if not officially segregated to kind of actually, you know, in practice segregated to where everyone in the nineties, the there was that golden moment where everybody just kind of got along, man. It took electric boogaloo, dude. Yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> <laughs> and now we've swung right back to what, you know, the worst time in our lives. So it's a crazy thing. I, I, I love talking to yeah, people. Now we're self-segregating. Yeah, yeah. Based on superficial characteristics like, uh, you know, Martinez, I'm sorry, you're, you're not supposed to be at the table right now because uh, you're, you're not the same skin color as the rest of us. But that's the way people are thinking rather than saying Martinez is an Arkansas boy who gets along with all of us. Oh, you're, you're a Mexican-American. You need to be with nah, Mexican-Americans. Man, that's and, stupid shit. And, it is. It, it, it is it's crazy. stupid shit. And, and, I'm and, a Scotch-Irish Chicano. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Reformed Pinknick. Oh, I, did, yeah. I did take Murphy into a gun shop in Harrison, Arkansas a while back, and I think he might have integrated the place. Dark. <laughs> yeah, he, was, he, was, he, was the, he was the first one in there, I think. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say, Jose? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I, I know what you were going to say. You, you were going to say that, man, you know, it's one of the manly characteristics. And, Doc, I know you're this guy. We got to pick on each other, right? It, it, it is the single biggest thing that I realized I missed from my veterans, but vet buddies. Oh, being picked on. Oh, just the the I verbal beatdown that ever. You do something stupid, and you're going to hear about it for Forever. the rest of your adult life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think it's one of the best things for you. And it can be a something small, but it's. I mean, it, it it'll, it'll be funny, and it's it's pinned on you the rest of your life, and you don't mean anything bad. No, by it. no that's it, one of the best things about being. Doc was, I had a, my, my nickname was Set. Right. I could not be nicknamed at my call sign. Couldn't be whatever a dumbest thing I'd done pants. in front Dip of my shit. platoon. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Somebody's like, goat fucker one six. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, that's just Johnny. It's fine. <laughs> so, so we also judge a man on how he takes that harassment, right? Oh, yeah. Be, oh, yeah, that's a life skill. If you're you not going to take a you, punch and a joke. If right. you can't take it, you're going to get it tenfold. Oh, it's coming yeah, that's on a sign of, If you just, if you just let it roll off your back. Oh, uh, now you just go to HR. Fuck <laughs> HR. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that. Amen. But that whole harassment, you know, I was I was catering a wedding one time, and uh, hell, you might have you might have run across this guy here. at some point. He had his whole ass blown off in a roadside, and he was missing one hand, and on this hand over here, he had what appeared to be like a little part where a pinky used to be, right? I mean, that's what Partial he, pinky. He was, He's got just a nubbin. That's yeah. it. And, and so his hand was cut across, was amputated from, say, the knuckle of the thumb back to where the pinky would be, 
and there was just this little old uh, barb, <laughs> a barb like on a catfish Small hook, appendage. right? And it's I'm, a normal pinky. It was just cold the day you saw him. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> you put in hot water, that son of a bitch look like an index finger. So I'm over there cooking in the kitchen, and they're getting all dressed up, ready for this wedding. And I'm watching this old boy, and he's getting dressed, right? Right there in the living room, he's putting on his slacks, and he's got his shirt. And I'm watching this dude button this shirt, right? And in my mind, With I'm one thinking, little digit. I'm thinking, mm. if this son of a bitch... <laughs> Can button that little that one right here that little <laughs> that button, I can't do <laughs> that little button that's above the wrist. I'm probably I'm probably in suicide mode, right? Because that is a complicated son of a bitch. That little button, especially got a heavy starch. Oh yeah, it's almost impossible. It's all matted together. You don't even know if that Filipino actually sewed it together, right? <laughs> don't even know if that button will go through that hole yeah. if it's, it's like a brand a, new shirt. It's like shoving a dime through a mouse's ear and. uh I'm watching him standing over there, and I said, hey, partner, you want me to get that button for you? He said, you don't think I could do it? I said, I'm hoping you can't. Because <laughs> I can. Because I said, that son of a bitch is the hardest button on the whole shirt. And I said, hell, I got to get my wife to do it or whatever. He says, I can get it. And he maneuvered around through teeth and that barb. And One he, foot. He got that. No ass. He got it accomplished, right? And uh, that night I said, we drank some whiskey together and we sat and talked and I said, man, I'm half the man that I thought I was by watching you. And he says, what are you supposed to do? Have someone else do it or you just handle it yourself? Right. I said, I, I, I admire you for what you've accomplished. And throughout the night, listening to his buddies, they were picking on him and he was picking his nose with this nub and... <laughs> Doing all of this shit. Every time he spills his drink, the buddies are like, use both hands. Oh, shit. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, it's it's different to stare at somebody with a handicap than going up. And that son of a bitch knows he's handicapped, right? Yeah, you don't have to tell him or and, remind and, him by asking and the if only time It's not going to be an epiphany of information for him here. <laughs> yeah, and the shit. only Wait, time. Where did my fingers go? <laughs> the only time. God damn it, you're right. <laughs> Why not? No. <laughs> hey, catch. The, the only time you're truly handicapped is when you accept you're a cripple, right? Yeah, you just got to like run around the room like, you know, hey, high point five. That's <laughs> five. <laughs> yeah. But that kind of harassment, that kind of male bonding is, is one of the deals that we gain strength from. And for a guy like you, man, and we didn't want to dive real deep into all the blood and guts and all the shit you've seen. There's, there's a time and a place for that. But you've seen stuff and you dealt with stuff and you probably still deal with stuff. And, and so throughout this show, the remainder of the show, we're going to talk about vices, things that make you right. Um, for me, me and you share a lot of common, common threads. One of them is I could have the worst day in the world and I get around the kitchen and start creating some food. I, I forget about stuff. I feel better. The other one is, is is the outdoors, right? So we we go outside, we breathe clean air, we eat. we don't have to kill to enjoy a hunting trip. It's a, it's the bonus. Like in and a lot of times, it's more work. Oh yeah, it's, it's more work if you accomplish the mission. But it's just being out there, um, enjoying it, figuring out that you are still human, and and putting stuff beside. Um, 
So we share that in common. The other thing that we share in common with all of us, I mean, these, this is basically all of us share these same things, is your service to other individuals outside of the military. I mean, your service in the military, but still serving other people. And the benefit that any of our listeners could get by helping somebody <laughs> who needs help. And guess who that is? Pretty much everybody. Of course. Right? And once... You know, I was I was told here a while back, as we change as individuals, <laughs> when we figure out that we have more years behind us than we got in front of us, right? And I'm thinking I'm almost there. Uh, that old Houdini lady, she told you different. 86, but, yeah. <laughs> so when... When we figure out that we have more years behind us than we got in front of us, we look at things different, we react to things different, and we treat people differently. The weird part of that conversation is, is nobody knows when their last day is, right? And so if you could take this all the way back and you could say, I'm going to treat every day like it's the last day. I'm going to enjoy every day like, hell, this is, I'm going to give it my best shot today because I don't know what tomorrow is. If you talk to your friends like it's their last day or your last day, all of these come in common. But that simple theory of thinking that I got more days behind me than I got in front of me, that is everybody. You Hopefully. Know? You know? Hopefully it didn't take you that long to come to that conclusion. But if, right. it, if it takes you the first half of your life, then at least you got there. I think yeah. it takes— I think, I, I think it has be, to. You have to get past the youth, I think. I, I think you're right. And, Doc, I would say I think that a lot of people— kind of feel if, if if they get a vaccine and they eat the right diet, they're going to live forever, which that ain't how Dog. it works. I, yeah, I, I, wish, I wish you well. <laughs> yeah, that ain't, that ain't how it works. So some of the, some of the, the medicine that you take that doesn't come in a, in a pill bottle is what? Um, I've had good luck with uh, psychedelics. Have you? Yes, I have. We've did done you, uh, some Did psych- you bring any with you or? TC. What, what's the, was it was seven years or fifteen on the? Uh, <laughs> so is, is it ayahuasca? No, I have not done. I've got a, a bad heart, so I can't do ayahuasca or ibogaine. But I've done uh, the psilocybin. Yeah, did that, and the one that, that helped me the most, I think, is a uh, San Pedro cactus. It's uh, in the mescaline family. Yeah. Bill's probably familiar right. with all that shit. <laughs> well, yeah. I got to do but it. Yeah, really no, no, I've, no, I've done it as fresh in, uh, bud once, but. And, you know, the fresh ones were much, much more noticeable and cleaner, more like, I mean. So they're fresh and clean. Dude. They're not like psilocybin because, you know, that, that's got a reason why they call it silly. Uh, but anyway. Yeah. And I did it in, you know, with, talked to my therapist and we had a, you know. A, uh, <laughs> he's all. <laughs> yeah, he's also hung up. He's got you. Our, uh, so we studio we, guest uh, got hung on a table. Was moving we, things around. We, just one Murphy. Second. We got a service yeah, dog hung up. Release the hound. He told me he was hung, and I'm like, is Red Rocket out? Or what? <laughs> <laughs> That's my question. And also, why, away, yeah, why are you bringing this it's up old, now? I didn't even see his old red ochre <laughs> when he went by me. <laughs> so you you mentioned that your therapist was actually pro uh, mushrooms. He's he's buckling up this thing. Yes, in the context of 
not just like go eat a bunch of them and run around your mountaintop out there in the middle of nowhere alone, but yeah. you set your intentions going into it and you do some, there's some therapy work you do ahead of time, set your intentions, your goals. Yeah. And then uh, there's therapy on the backside of it as well. So was it a, a guided process where you were with your therapist during or were you at home? Or? Um, we did it at, I did it with a, uh, a facilitator at my place up on our mountain. We've got just under 80 acres in the Boston mountains. So they just staked you out in the field somewhere. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> you ran around. If, so it, if, if so I mean, take, they just take you out behind the barn. So, yeah, ta yeah. so take us through that. If you don't mind. Uh, I've done a couple of them. The first one was quite miserable. Um, after that, I found them fairly helpful, equal parts, the, the therapy before and after, you know, it's now, kind of, now it's, what is the therapy? Before um, and after? talking to a, a mental health, uh, provider. One of mine was loosely affiliated with the VA, just like a VA contractor. And then the, the facilitator that I used that was a tribal member that had the medicine is, was also a, uh, mental health person who was going after their, I think we either working on their master's or their PhD in in trauma, like trauma therapy specifically to work with vets. I got you. So I think the the vets themselves, with all the talk that they're doing in podcasts and YouTube videos and hell on the news, right? They could be on mainstream news talking about the fact that going on these ayahuasca journeys or Yeah, ayahuasca and ibogaine are the two ones that seem the most promising, but they're also the the harshest if you have uh, physical health elements along yeah. with it. And so I think since they're talking, they're opening up this to a lot of other people. It's almost like the medical industry. I think like a Dr. Knife Chief, she knows it's the right path. Right. But there's not the money going to Pfizer. Exactly. Right? Correct. And that's, I think, you know, you that's know, the, the little it's a plus. conspiracy theory brain is, you know, like if the VA... If some pharmacy can't make money selling it to the VA right. for them to give it us in wheelbarrow-sized quantities, then neither the VA or the pharmaceutical industry seems real interested in it. Exactly. Well, Bill, you're kind of a scholar on this whole deal, but LSD was actually created for mental health, right? My first understanding of it came from King Kesey. And, uh, he was like a, a, you know, I guess a, a whatever you do, just a test guy for the CIA and he uh, absconded with some and took it to the University of California at Berkeley. And then Osley was the guy that made it. And Timothy Leary is the guy that everybody knew about. And, yeah, it was, uh, it was originally supposed was originally to be a, to uh, be a in, psychiatric medicine, if I... Well, yeah. it was an yeah. interrogation drug. Yeah. So that they wouldn't be able to get around it. I think one of the guys interrogated himself right out of a four-story window. window. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think they were given very large quantities. I think right. they also experimented with seeing... Didn't they experiment to see if it would make people more violent also enlarged? Or am yeah, I and there was a that? brothel associated with it. He didn't say shit. He, yeah, just he, he defen defenestrated himself. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the right word? That, that, <laughs> that word for getting thrown out a right window? Yeah. Right. So uh, there, there's, it was on my word of the day calendar. I had to use it somewhere <laughs> in this conversation. I like that. So there's obviously pluses to this. Well, I think the thing that they're finding now is that there's a closer link to psychedelic experience and meditation almost eastern style of of finding some level base of where you can find another part of yourself to not focus on what's really 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 or to get past what's just bugging you to death yeah and it gives you another another level of 
of thinking. Yeah, well, and, my understanding is like psychedelics will get you to the same brain waves that like uh, really religious people in prayer get to. Right, Bud- exactly. Uh, you know, Buddhist monks and meditation, meditation the, the, the yoga meditation yeah. and stuff. It kind of all gets your brain to the same place. Right, you past your own bullshit, I guess. Is, yeah. have a mm-hmm. close relationship. But in situations like yours, when you don't want to spend ten years of rigorous study and daily practice to get to that point because you want to get better, it, it turbocharges it, right. which is Absolutely. why it's got some fast track potential. Yeah. In, in my for, case, there's I thought of myself as a PTS donor, not recipient. Mm-hmm. You know, the guys we kicked in their door at three a.m. to you're, put you're a sandbag giving. sandbag over their head were the ones. We were donating it too, if you will. Yeah. Um, but like, I think clinically it's like they have like 16 symptoms and 13 out of the 16 symptoms for PTSD are also the ones for brain injuries, you know, TBI. Well, that's why Dr. Nachif liked to call it PTSI, you know, right. post-traumatic yeah. stress injury instead of... Right. Yeah, instead of a disorder. Disorder, disorder yeah. yeah. Which made a lot of sense, I mean, when you think about it. There's also, you're right, Joe, but... There's also the fact that there's full disability through through the military is something that used to be it was a negative that you were disabled. It was something shunned. Yeah, if you were on you're, that dude, he's just he's crippled up. He he's all that. And in the last twenty years, oh, no, I'm going to say even farther back, post Vietnam, right. Disability was something that the disabled were trying to get and the free loafers were trying to get at the same time. Right. And and it was one of these things to where that money's there, man. I might as well get that money. Do it. I got a bad back. Or you well, know. at some point being a victim became a status symbol. Right. Right. You know, I I've heard it one of the t- triggering things for me is and I hear non-combat vets bragging about their percentage of disability that they mm-hmm. got from the VA, you know. None, yeah. Yeah. I, I know I know those people, too. Yes. And, and you know what? Hey, man, they went over and they fought in that shit, and I didn't. I don't know what you got. And I'm, and I'm kind of the same way, but then when you I think it's, yeah. Oh, this whole, what, what, did you, what did you do? Well, I was over there packing them old parachutes. Parachutes, but I uh, heard somebody crying over there or scared over there, but. And I and I get it. Like if, I'm if, out there with you. I if wasn't you're honest there. about it. You know, that's one thing. But there's you know, there's a lot of people that you know. There's a direct cor- uh, inverse correlation between how much you've seen and how much you'll talk about. Mm. You know, I didn't do fuck all compared to some people. So I'll sit here and talk to you with you all afternoon. Right. You know, but it's the people that are first ones to speak up, first ones to brag about their disability and stuff like that are probably the ones that have. Not done. Seen it way over there, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think they want. I mean, to no, take... pr- props on them. You volunteered. You went over there. Yes. Yeah. Like, and hey, and some of them didn't volunteer. Some of them just had to go. Yeah. Well, I mean, and your worst. Volunteer. You can't really compare trauma. Like the worst day of your life is still the worst day of your life, and it has the associated mental health right baggage that goes with it. Yeah. But, you know, and, and this PTSI or PTSD or whatever PTS, right? I think that it's just, you know, we've centralized it to, hey, it's a military disorder. It's a law enforcement disorder. It's a first responder disorder. But the truth is, is that disorder is... Is out there. Is in there with civilians. Probably, there's probably more civilians with it than there is ex-military with it. Because the ex-military 
had some sort of training in how to deal with what they were fixing to go through, right? You, you, you know, if you're going to war, some people are going to die. Still get rich. Oh it, it, yeah, I was hearing a little click, okay. but I think it was a cell that, phone. That was, was me close. talking African. Oh, but I, I heard of a guy that has PTSD from being locked up in the penitentiary. I he see. did his time. Now he's got PTSD, so now he gets checked. That's straight bullshit, boys. <laughs> right? Oh, uh, well, for being a criminal and yeah, receiving unless a check. he was wrongfully uh, accused. Yeah. yeah. But I'm no. going to say this guy was not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm with you. But from a civilian standpoint, you know, the, the trauma could come from abuse at the house. It could come from whatever. The the challenge is still there. When you when they close their eyes and they're fighting their demon, their demon may not be some Iraqi. Their demon might be their dad, might be their mom, might be a car accident, or whatever. Yeah, might be the fact that your best friend died and you witnessed that shit. Yeah. Um. It was, so, the moral of the story is mental health is is a real deal. It, it is, and it's if you think you live in a family that doesn't have a mental you just, don't, you just don't know about it yet. Yeah. Yeah, just ask how your family votes. You'll know there's at least one <laughs> in there. Well, I mean, we've had com- <laughs> me and Joe have had conversations, and for the longest time, you know, we, we would think, eh, what do you think about this mental illness deal? Or what was the big deal we used to say? I mean, I've never been depressed, and I, I've never been depressed. Right. I mean, I've been mad. I've been disappointed. Well, I wouldn't. But I don't guess I've ever been depressed, and I'm not saying – there is no such thing as depression. I just, I've, I've never experienced it. Uh, so, and that's a thing. I, I was depressed at one point, and when you're in it, you don't really. So I had been downsized from my job, and it just I wasn't able to find anything else. And I was just at home with uh, then two of my kids, the middle and the youngest. And in the moment, it was just like, well, you know, and I would get up and I would apply for jobs and I would go through my days. But I found myself staying in bed longer and longer in the morning. And I had this like five-year-old daughter who's up just like making sandwiches for herself and stuff (laughs) like that. And uh, it wasn't until I went back to work and uh, that I was like, I was a little messed up there. And and it wasn't like at no point was I like, oh, I'm going to kill myself or did I like just cry? But it was just... So you didn't realize just, it till afterwards? Yeah, but a- after the fact, it was like, I, I was off. Like, there, the, I was not right during that period. I, I can't speak for females. But <laughs> You're so feminine, though, Joe. <laughs> I can't speak for females, but I can speak for males. One of, one of the things, a man wants to feel value. He wants to feel like he's given value to his home, to his kids, right. to his employer, to whatever his his duties are, a man wants to feel value. And if you feel like your value is being taken, such as you, you weren't making any money, right? Yeah, well, he hadn't thought about that yet, but now that you mention it. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was a factor. I just watched the relapse happen <laughs> right there. <laughs> but you, you were so... so I, I mean, none of us are psychologists, but we see shit and we could, we're smart enough as individuals, we could piece it together. If a man doesn't feel like he's valued, he's either going to search out and find that value, he's going to supplement to try to hide that, whether it be drugs, alcohol, a hobby, 
uh, whatever it is, he's going to try to find it that way, or he's going to lay around and be in this deep, dark place, and it's only going to get worse. My idea of depression is, is the longer you let that demon whoop you, the stronger that demon's going to get and the harder it's going to be to get rid of it. Yeah, but it's hard to fight some days when all you can work on is breathe and blink. Right. You know, when that well is just empty. Yeah. That's a bad, you know, zero is a hard spot to overcome. Exactly. When you've got no, if you've got $1, you can start working. If you've got one ounce of energy, you can start doing something. But zero nah, that's is, a, is a damn rough place to be. And, and that was a And if you don't have a tribe around you, yeah. you're probably going to be stuck there. How close to zero were you? Pretty damn close a couple times. Were you? Yep. And so to start rebuilding you, what were, short of, short of, you know, the doctors and the medicine. There, what, there was uh, a moment, probably 20, just be 2015 or something. And I got, uh, somebody put me in for a vet trip. I was in Indiana. They put me in for a vet trip in North Carolina. And I went down there and it wasn't until, like we'd been on, it was like a fishing trip. Drive 12 hours to get there. We get on the boat and like four minutes, we're not going to get the boat off the damn trailer yet. And we're making fun of each other. And I'm laughing so hard. I'm crying. I'm like, I haven't laughed at like making I, fun of each other. I needed that. I haven't done this in so long that I forgot about it. Like forgot what an outlet it was to mm -hmm, trust right. the people you're around to, to be able to laugh at each other, to make fun of each other like that. That was a, that was a big turning point for me. So you could, you could see where you were and you could see where you were at at that and moment. And what was missing to get me from here to here. Right. Right. I, that started my whole journey on if the outdoors and making fun of each other and being around other vets can save me. Okay. Oh, yeah. When I get to a place in life where I can do something, give back. Right. Right. I, I know the lane. I know the avenue. Right. Right. So, I, you know. There's a lot of people with a pile of money, and they think if they throw a lot of money at something, it heals the problem. That's, that's what I consider bullshit, right? It does take money to stimulate the process of making something work. You can't do it for free. Goat Mountain, right? Yeah, if any listener out there has a pile of money they want to <laughs> throw around, I can give you two very good veteran-oriented organizations to uh, throw it at where we will use it yeah. to help other vets. Yeah, right. so you got to be wise on where you throw your money. And you got to accept the fact that these people are searching for that healing and the healing is going to come where it was lost, right? So you, 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 I found my tribe again. You found, you and you, through my finding my tribe, now, I, now I've got my mission. Right. You know, now I'm not alone again. Right. The big one. I'm not in exile, even if it's in my own head from my, like I kind of self-exiled from my group. Um, I found that again. And then once you have, okay, now I've got my people. I've got a support team, at least half-ass around me. Now I've got something to do, a goal to work towards. Mm -hmm. Being without a goal is a, you know, being wayward is bad. That's, you right. know, the Ronin thing. The, the mm -hmm. samurai with no master was the right. was the one who was in trouble. Mm. You know, they, I think humans have known this about, about warriors and stuff for a long, long time. Long time, yeah. We just keep every, every war, we, we learn it and lose it. And then have to relearn it. Yeah. So from what I understand is at these events, you've never cooked a bad meal. Is that true or false? Well, it took a little bribery on the Google reviews, but 96% correct. <laughs> is it? <laughs> and yeah. so so uh, we all enjoy a good meal. And, and you could tell 
when someone cooks the meal, if they were just there to cook some shit or if they put their heart and soul into it. And I know a guy like Bill, when Bill cooks us a meal, Bill has given us a piece of himself, right? This is what I created. This is a piece of myself. I'm going to break bread with you and show you who I am, right? You, you have, it's hard to imagine that there's affection in food, but there is. Absolutely. Absolutely. There is. You know what I Why mean? Why do you think Nana's food tasted so good when you went over to Grandma's house? You bet. Mm-hmm. You know? Everybody likes Mama's recipe. And, and you the could secret never ingredient is love. It. Yeah. And you could take that recipe, and if it wasn't made by Grandma or Mom... Not the it, same. No. Not the same. It's the smell of the environment that you're in. It's the familiar side of food that makes food such a healing thing. You need food. You need vitamin C and vitamin D, and you need all that side of the healing of the food but you need the emotional connection to the food. You want to know the guy that cooked the shit for you. It's just, it's, it's, it's a better deal. And, and it's kind of romantic for guys who are in, in the food deal or women who are in the food deal. It, it means something more. And if you're not in the game, I'm telling you it's an outlet for healing. Because when we, when we go to an event and there's all these miserable people, they just lost somebody, Right and we throw down a steak dinner in front of them. And it's not just a steak dinner. It's a steak dinner that we showed up to heal you. This is why we're giving you. you. The intent and the love comes through in the food and the yeah. surface of it. Yeah, yeah. and you It's a thing, yeah. absolutely. And you could be a tattooed up macho son of a bitch, but there, there, is, there is love in food and food is healing. And not to mention... We sit around in a circle, we sit around as a tribe, and we break bread together. You cannot like somebody, but if they cook a damn good meal, boy, you might think about patching that shit up. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's a son of a bitch, but have you had his ribs? So He can, absolutely. My question to, to you is, when did you know that you had that healing power? Oh, my first job... My first paid job was I was in a restaurant. I started working in a steakhouse at like 15 years old. And I've had every position in from washing dishes up to executive chef at various points along the, along the cooking journey. And you love it. Oh, yeah. So do you get all uh, chefy? Um, I don't own a single squeeze bottle. Right. Those are not chefy squeeze bottles. I mean, oh, that's the worst thing. That I, I, any you say chefy, I'm thinking like Food Network and the, the, I, that's and the hipster guy I'm down just here. I'm saying that when you get that stuff and you Real put shit. it on a, yeah. and it comes out in a squirt like ketchup on a great dish, it is not impressing me. me what neither. if you rake your spoon through it? Bill? Well, maybe they should yeah, have done that. You got to do a perfect swirl. Kitchen, yeah. you know. The pinky up when you swirl it. Yes. I mean, sometimes it's up. But, so, I truly believe that, just like everybody, it takes every aspect of your senses to enjoy a meal and you got to be in a relaxed state if you're in a big ass hurry and you sit down and just throw some shit in your mouth and chew it up swallow it and make a turd that's one thing if you get into an environment to where (laughs) squatty potty you you sit down and you're in a good environment and the food looks good it smells good it tastes good because of those other things around you you can put whatever spice you want on it if it's in a shithole, it doesn't it doesn't reach that pinnacle that you're after. So 
have you witnessed people around the fire eating your food and they probably harass you the same way that you're you're wanting, right? Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> and but they're also complimenting you. And those compliments, oh, uh, yes, absolutely, they go a long way when a guy cooks a dinner. Yeah, well, just as much as part of being a soldier, being a being a good cook is as part of my identity as well. You bet. You know. Yeah. So one of the things that just busts my balls is if I sit in that kitchen and I work real hard, and I make this meal, and I plate it up, and someone, someone, well, this is putting the salt on. Before you taste it. Before you taste it, that's a, that's a crime. It should be punishable. Yeah, it should have had a credit score like, like ketchup or Weldon's yeah, bake. Yeah, but if someone has seen you work your ass off and they're going to let that plate get cold over there before they eat it. Mm. Oh, it pisses me off <laughs> when I do that all day long and it's gonna, and then someone just can't quite. They've been laying around, hanging out, and everything for hours, and then time comes to serve it. Where are they? Yeah, they got to eat it, man. My when, wife does the same thing. Yeah, mine, I was trying not to throw my wife under the bus. But since she you for under their first, I'll You'll do it. cook that shit, and I'll be over there drinking or something. No, man, it is one of the biggest insults. Oh, no, my wife's the ones that... She'll be doing something, and I'm like, hey, food's up. You know, come get it. She's like, I'll be there in a minute. I'm like, no, food's hot now, honey. Right, yeah. This is an egg. <laughs> so you got to sound like my wife. I don't cook. My wife cooks. Oh, yeah, we might. Yeah, that happens at my house. I got three daughters, and they're all too damn picky, and, and I've allowed it them to be, and I'll cook all this food, and like, all right, everything's ready. Because there's a window of opportunity where this is at its Pinnacle. And right? then I'm sitting there eating by myself. One time I cooked a bunch of food and, and they were out running errands and I told them, all right, I'm cooking all this food. And they were gone and they came home with some leftover pizza. Mm. Oh, it's like, yeah. oh, you traitorous bastard. I, I oh, wish my, I'm, I'm with you. My, uh, my, my response is still talked about not in a positive way. When my grandmother still brought up in marriage counseling. <laughs> my grandmother was alive. We had some other sisters and brothers and nieces and nephews all in town and Jonesboro, they lived in Colorado. And the kids were probably five and seven or something like that, my sisters. And we're going to my grandmother's for Sunday dinner. And my sister rolls through McDonald's for her kids first. It made me want to take a dip of snuff somewhere you wouldn't want to put it. <laughs> Where would you put That makes my ass want to take a dip of snuff. Never heard that. Okay, I, 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 I think snuff. I understand the analogy, but I have a question about what medical effects you were going to get from the uh, prison pocket <laughs> snuff. You say burn your ass. <laughs> he'll, 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 yeah, we'll, we'll heal the chapped ass. Is that the idea? Yeah, I don't know right. how. Okay. So when you go out and cook on these missions, where, where are you cooking? Um... One of the okay, a couple of favorite menu items: uh, black bear shank asabuco over mm. the fire, Ooh. rice, nan bread, adult beverages. I, could get I love asabuco. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was one of one of my things that I tried. I was traveling all over the country a lot, and everywhere I went for one year or so, I'd always get that wherever I could. And the craziest thing about it was the very best there was was at Pinaltos or whatever it's called out in Tawny Town. <laughs> <laughs> the very best. I think. I think is. Once you get into the game of cooking, one of the things that you want to experiment with would be offcuts of meat, right? That you realize that any son of a bitch could cook a ribeye because you started off with high quality. But whenever you elevate yourself to a point to where you're taking 
undesirable pieces, such as the shank. Yeah, talk too much about shanks or lingua tacos. Right. Or, oh, you yeah. know, now, now, now you're, you're starting to get my attention. Well, when you start buying those half cows or quarter cows, you get everything. It's giving me a great appreciation for every cut of meat. I, yeah, but the majority of the people who's getting a half a beef or a quarter of a beef, they're getting 70% ground beef. They're getting it ground because they're lazy. I get I, to oh, yeah. ask them to cut it the way I want to, and I got every cut you can possibly get and about 30% ground beef. I'm still upset that people figured out uh, flank and skirt and flat iron, which I realize are, you know, now they're just, oh, you got a whole restaurants dedicated to like the flat iron. There's one in Washington, D.C. I've been to. But those used to be, you know, affordable. If you knew how to cook them and cut against the grain. We're running out of cheap cuts. Yeah. (laughs) Because, yeah. And YouTube is one of the, the reasons, right? If, if a guy can go on there and say, I've got oxtail, right? A cow tail was completely undesirable. Right. It, it was, As a matter of fact. Just like the tongue, just like you said, Langway earlier. Yeah. yeah. If you went and People bought just a throw beef. throw that shit away, feed it to the dog or yeah, whatever. Yeah, you didn't even get it as part of, your, part of your return off bringing the animal. No one wanted it. And then all of a sudden, they, they found give, that this collagen was They give magic. it all to me. I mean- we had one, we split a half a cow with a brother and sister-in-law. And they were like, oh, you want heart, heart liver, and tongue? I'm like, yeah. how many? Tail, heart, liver, yeah. and tongue. How yes. many hearts did that All thing have? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, just because nobody else <laughs> yeah, wanted it. A, you know. It's some of the yeah, best meat there is. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. it's like more dense than a filet, but other than that, there's some similarities to it. Do you know why? And people are probably sitting here and listening to this thinking, these guys are crazy. No, but they've never tried it. The the reason. Third you, Saturday every month, Snake Mountain Pack goes. Yeah. <laughs> you could take. <laughs> come out and see, have it around the campfire. Take this back to where the conversation started. The conversation started by you got to put love in what you're cooking. There you have And it. so those pieces of meat that we just talked about, the shanks, the tail, all of those just tough working muscles, if you don't put love in it, it ain't edible. Mm-mm. Well, the last time I cooked bone marrow, which was not long ago, after I utilized it all, I put the bones back in the water and I boiled that out. And I used that incredible juicy stuff as part of the dog food I cooked for my dogs. They thought they were at a four star restaurant, you know. You bet. <laughs> but, Oh yeah, I come I get back a, and be one of my dogs. You'll be. A, I, I get occasion to go over to te- Texas occasionally and help a buddy, and he does an exotic game. I get to go guide for him, mostly like buffalo, water buffalo, some of the big stuff. And I definitely come home with a cooler full of like, you know, the one, the one buffalo I shot had thirty pound liver in it. I bet. Mm. Well, I don't eat liver, but I brought it home and at least got it half frozen, ran it through the slicer, and we've got four dogs. I threw those things in the dehydrator and made dog treats out of them that we had for, you know, weeks and weeks and right. weeks. One of the I guess it was three, four years ago. I'm always experimenting, trying to find something. And I thought, you know what I want to eat? I want to eat a by God camel hump. And so I went to searching for a camel hump. And I could purchase I camel hump. I'll say, if you want to go shoot one, I know a guy in Texas. <laughs> well, I could purchase said camel hump, but I thought by the time that sandwich got from Australia all the way to northwest Arkansas, it probably wasn't going to be real tasty. So I started well, Googling up, and I ordered Brahma hump. And so out of South Texas, I called down there and I said, Hey, y'all got the hump off the Brahma? And they said, Yeah. I said, How many you got? They said, We got four. I'll take all four. They said, Have you ever cooked them before? I said, Not at all, but I was searching for a camel hump 
And that's the closest shit I can come across. <laughs> so I'll take them. So this Brahma hump is similar to a buffalo hump. And if, if you go back into Native American time, whenever they were actually killing the buffaloes, they would take the tongue and they would take the hump. The loin and all of that stuff was just left, right? There was desirable meat from the Native Americans, tongue and hump, and some of the interior organs, liver and things like that, where the most fat was. So if you take this Brahma hump, when you get it out of the package, it's ugly. And so it's a bunch of connective tissue, just like cheeks, right? The, the, yeah, it's the like Mex the world's largest neck roast. It's, it's huge. And, but and is it meat, though? Oh, yeah. Just a lot of fat in it. A lot of marbling, but there's a lot of tissue inside there that's doing stuff. You cook that thing similar to like you would a shank or a brisket or something that's going to be, you know, a long process. Superior meat was this hump. So then I get on the hump deal. So I ordered the buffalo hump, and it come out of Minnesota. The buffalo hump, if you look at that buffalo as a tractor, <laughs> the reason why this hump is on there is because <laughs> when that buffalo puts down his head, go ahead, Martinez, let it cry, boy. So you take, oh, the, God. <laughs> you take this, this buffalo's head as a snowplow, and that muscle on its back is the motor for it, and that's how they rake the snow out of the way to get to the grass. Buffalo hump was better than the Brahma hump. So I'm looking for a camel hump. If you got one handy, I'll cook it with you. All right. I, I know a gal. I'll see what I can do. Now, we were talking about the quality of meat uh, coming from Australia and New Zealand. Well, every time you go to a restaurant and that's selling elk or venison, it's red stagger elk that's come mm. from New Zealand anyway. So they have the ability to get meat over here in edible form. Yeah, we need camel hump. All right. I, I got a question for the group. If you're talking about an animal that we wouldn't normally eat, that you would like to try, what would that be? And see, personally, I would like to go for either a panda bear or a koala bear because I fear all that bamboo or eucalyptus would, uh, you know, be kind of like a grass-fed cow or something like that. It'd be nice and not like eating a predator. So what about y'all? Oh, I would the, be afraid that the, that would taste, like the koala bear would taste like the inside of our sauna smells. <laughs> you know, like just like, you know, like yeah. a, a mule deer that's been eating sage all the time. You can kind of smell that sage out yeah. of them. I wonder if it smell like the uh, essential oils we put on the hot stones oh, okay, in the sauna. hundred percent. So whatever the animal's eating is what the animal's going to taste like. So, I just got back, and a lot of the listeners who follow me know that I just went on this iguana hunt, right? And so we went to Puerto Rico, and we killed hundreds upon hundreds of iguanas. Hands down, the best hunting experience I've ever had in my life out of killing anything and everything, iguana hunting, if you haven't put it on your bucket list, you need to put it on your bucket list. And here's why. That island of Puerto Rico is 35 miles wide, 100 miles long. There's approximately 11 million iguanas on this island. The Puerto Ricans will not eat an iguana. I'm going to give you some fun facts, and you could Google this shit up. First of all, did you know an iguana has three eyes? No. Two brown, or one black, one brown, and two blue? Or <laughs> Fun fact. An iguana has a third eye, and it's on top of their head, and it's an actual eye. Seriously? Seriously. Go Google up iguana. Out I mean, above. I believe you. No, what I about mean, the old brown eye out the back? Backup camera. I've never even seen it on I think that's camera. more of an O-ring. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Backup camera. So an iguana has a third eye, and right on the top of their head is the third eye. 
And that third eye is for when they're on a branch and a bird's flying over. That thing can pick up light and darkness. It, it's a sensory organ, but it's an actual eye with a retina. Okay? There is, in fact, is that a where you want to image shoot? search right there. Is that where you want to shoot them? So you want to shoot them between their real eye and their and ear. The brown eye. And their ear. Right there on the solar panel, you said. Right? Yeah. I would think the brown eye would be gut shot if you <laughs> were that far back. It, it, yeah, it wouldn't work. So some of these iguanas that we shot, we would shoot 15 or 20 But you're times. shooting a pellet gun, right? A 25 caliber pellet gun that's high velocity. So if you shoot them with a 12 gauge, you're dead. It would not kill it. Oh. It's like a snapping in turtle the with the... the 12 not, gauge in the head wouldn't kill it? In, well, unless one of the away. BBs hit the iguana directly in the brain. It, oh, you throw some number six high brass. Well, Joe, I killed, a, I shot about 300 of them, and some of them I would shoot four or five times in the head. I'd with a watch, BB gun, though. No, but, with a 25 caliber. So basically. I'm playing with a shotgun, number six high brass in the what's, head. Dead. What, what, what's, the, what's the velocity and, cal, and weight on those 25 cals that you're so shooting? So it's, it's about a 60 grain, 25 caliber. So it's basically 25 caliber would be like 25 out six. Okay. 25. Pre-charging them. You're talking one. A PCP. Yeah, I'm saying one precisely put where the brain should be. I was just asking what the velocity on it was to see how it compared to the shotgun pellets. Uh, it was real close, about so 1,100, you, right? So okay, that's, yeah. That's, shotgun pellets are high brass, what, 1,200 feet a second? So it's the same. So you can't shoot them with a shotgun? Or can you? You're just you just going to pepper you, them and not you, do you wouldn't want to because unless you could get. I just got a slug. So you got to shoot these things between the eye and the ear. It has to be a brain shot. If it's anywhere front or well, back I, of the I brain. I buy that, but I'm just saying, you shoot them in the head with a goddamn shotgun? I don't, I mean, yeah, occasionally you would kill one. These, while they're sitting on the branch, say 30 feet up, there's a five foot, 10 pound lizard sitting there. I'll tell my listeners this. If it wasn't for having a Puerto Rican feist, this would have been impossible. And what a Puerto Rican they, feist was. They point him out for it. Yeah, is a guy named Juan. Yeah. <laughs> who's about 40 years we old. call him Fist, not a feist. <laughs> who would literally, he knew, I think, four words. Uh, my, no, my friend, he's a big one. <laughs> Those were the four words that me and Juan discussed for hours. It's, and so Juan would see these things because he's born and bred into chasing these lizards. Right. And the advantage that we had was I have always shot stuff out of trees since I was four years old, right? I've looked in trees and I've dropped stuff out of trees. I think the majority of the hunters that go on these things, they're deer hunters, they're bird hunters, whatever. They're shooting at a totally different style target than shooting in trees. So... Juan would point, and I'd put my cheek on his arm and sight down his... Sharon and I together. Sight down his arm to the tip of his finger, and sure shit, there'd be a lizard. Now these So li be, they're hard to see unless he's... Pointing. It's a green lizard in a green tree full and of... And that was full of leaves. I mean, it's... Full of leaves, right? Now... They don't have winter there, I guess. Typically not. Typically, their heads would be a different color. They could be white or gray or whatever. But seeing the body was very, very difficult. So I'd kill six lizards out of one tree. And then... where there wasn't one of them in there, that's what you said. Yeah, and then we'd walk to another tree, shoot five or six lizards, 
And then we'd go back to the same tree we just left and find five or six lizards. So they were there. You just couldn't. It was just hard to see. An ungodly amount of lizards. And we hunted on Thursday and Friday. The deal was, is our guides had hunted Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday the same damn trees we were hunting. Like how how big an area? I mean, of two and a half acres. That's all you. <laughs> He's only mentioned five trees so far. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not shitting you. And out of the two and a half acres, probably one acre of that was just grass. So there's. I'm this, thinking you just need the AR and just open up on that son of a bitch. No, well, so it's bad for people on the return of the ab- so, after, yeah, after, after apogee on your bullet. So no, the, you just keep it a ten and two. So to tie this into the VA, just on. The outside of this little patch of woods that we're hunting is the Puerto Rican VA. Is what they call it? The VA. <laughs> and it's right, I mean, because it's an American veterans. So it's right on the other side of this fence. Like we walked the fence of the VA hunting lizards. Now, on, I'll call it the east side, there was an elementary school. And on the south side, there's like a, uh, a shopping center. Yeah, that's what you was telling me in those pictures. You couldn't see any of these buildings he's talking about. But it looked like you were really in the woods. And it really looked it I wouldn't say you said jungle, but well, I wouldn't say it was jungle. We, we got a scrub jungle over there. What were the trees? I mean jungle shit. Like, I wouldn't I mean they really didn't look that, like jungle, jungle shit is both the uh well, we the, were, the binomial Latin name yeah. <laughs> you know, genus and species mentioned so, right there. It's impressive that you remember that. And I don't understand that I understand you don't even speak Spanish. No, so <laughs> when so we were in the bottom, right? So there was like a creek running through there. But uh, let me describe the I'll, I'll give you the senses, right? The senses is is they started killing lizards there on Monday. We're there on Thursday. For every five lizards that you actually go up and grab and put in a pile, there's probably five lizards that are in the brush that you can't get to. Right. And there's a there's a real swampy creek, stagnant water with some sort of cattails going through there. And there's possibly six-foot caiman swimming inside that little creek. So if they go in there, screw it. Let the caiman eat, right? You bet. So... For three days prior, there's probably 300 dead lizards laying in this field. It is the smell of absolute death. It's like a murder scene from two weeks ago. Every uh, reptiles so you spoil. Let's sm- smell the whole yeah, time. Reptiles spoil faster than poultry. Like, and it, we had that conversation earlier. Right? So these things are laying out there, they're spoiling. I didn't get bit by a tick, a mosquito, a no seum. I didn't get. They don't have none of that shit. There? Supposedly there is, but where I was at, I didn't get bit by shit. There you go. But what the I the miasma of death kept them away. The the smell of death, I think, was keeping the majority of this stuff. I thought out. the lizards ate them all. I no. think I would get them. The pile of dead lizards is overcome by flies. Right there's just okay. So what do these lizards eat? These lizards, I'm going to give you some more fun facts. These, <laughs> these lizards are... Ticks, no seams, <laughs> so mosquitoes. This island of Puerto Rico, 95% of all the food that they have on this island is imported from the mainland. Okay? So if you, if you think about this, if, if we went to hell in a handbasket real quick here in these 48 states, three and a half million people in Puerto Rico would probably die in a month. Because they can't bring anything in, right? So, so they eat everything from 
everything. The, Nothing the, there that they eat. The world famous hogs, they're raised in Iowa and shipped over there, right? So, so what's the so the crops that they do? They they've got some avocado, they got some sugar cane that they make <laughs> rum out of, right? They've got some papaya, some tropical fruit. And uh of course, but, you don't eat avocados, I could live off avocados. So these lizards, if they take one bite out of an avocado, it's gone. One bite out of a papaya, it's gone. So the value all more reason to kill them best. So and they're invasive. They're but not it does sound a- like they're self-marinating when I shoot these things and go to put them in my <laughs> recipe. <laughs> but at the same token, they're eating the foliage off of the trees, right? There was cattle in this little field. There was probably they they were Brangus cattle. And there was probably uh 30 head of cattle running around. But it's it's a large property, but we're on like this two and a half acres. And so they're eating all of the foliage out of the trees. They're eating the eggs of the birds. They'll, they'll eat birds. They'll eat. How'd they eggs. end up there? You said they were invasive. Pets. They were pets and, and they were released. Fun fact, the female li- lizard will remind Martinez of a girlfriend he once had. So these, I'm going with tongue, cold-blooded we're first. Going, we're going the, back to the tongue and hump about the buffalo. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but that's what I was laughing a while ago when you was talking about the buffalo and shit. Tongue and hump. You, you were thinking of somebody specific? Uh, Bill wrote on my piece of paper here, tongue and hump, just like my last date. Okay. So the, <laughs> the, the female lizard, when she's impregnated, she can hold fertilized eggs inside of her stomach for three years. Why? This is where Clay Newcomb will jump in with uh, delayed implantation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for so if she gets pregnant, any time that female lizard's walking around and think, boy, there's a shitload of food right here, drop some eggs. If she's in a high-stress deal, there ain't a lot of food, she'll hold those eggs inside of her, fertilized. So nobody knows who they are. <laughs> so <laughs> in theory, you could kill every male lizard and you didn't solve the problem. Not for three years anyway. No, because she's going to lay more male she's going to lay more own. male lizards and so this problem of 11 million lizards won't go away. So here's how the operation I went on. This is called Puerto Rico Extreme carpet bombing. Puerto Rico Puerto Rico Extreme X Extreme, no e in front of it. Uh iguana hunts. That's the one you went on. Yeah, fantastic guides. I mean, it was a great outfit. They provided you with the guns, the Puerto Rican feist dude named Juan. I mean, it was the whole... It was, no, but... Sounds great. It was fantastic. And so this is how it works. Juan gets a phone call from a farmer, and the farmer says, dude, I'm overran with lizards. They're Which everywhere. lizard those? A big one. They're everywhere, <laughs> right? So... Juan gets paid to exterminate the lizards from the property. You get paid to go kill them. We pay them to go kill them. So right now we're on a double scenario. The lizards that are killed, they process them back at the house, vacuum seal them, and they ship them back to the mainland to where they get $8 a pound for the lizard and the lizard in America sells between $31 and $50 a pound. People buy that here? Of course. It's an exotic, right? So they want it. And there's a lot of cultures to where this lizard is, is part of their, their meal. Puerto Rico, Florida, where the lizard is invasive, they can't get rid of them. Every place the iguana is native to, they're endangered. 
So where the iguana, the green iguana is native, they're an endangered species. You can't hunt them. Can't, you won't even see one. Where are they native to? Uh, Central America. Okay. There's so, a lot of them in the Galapagos. Yeah, this is the green, uh, green iguana specifically. Now there's like three other iguanas there in, in Puerto Rico. So they make boots out of them. Yeah. I mean, you can't once. So here's, I mean, the, I've got some iguana boots, but what, I, I wonder what species. Of it's probably, it's probably, it. well, so when the lizard. Mine wasn't green. Ever. Yeah. So the deal is, is once that lizard's dead and you pull the hide off of it, it's going to lose all pigment just like a fish, right? They just die. And so it could be dyed whatever color. So this outfit is now taking 2,000 pounds of iguana meat a week at $8 a pound. That's $16,000 a week. Thirty-two thousand for two weeks, sixty-four thousand for four weeks, fifty-two. And weeks. this goes on and on. Okay, so that's the other thing. So we kill the the big one. So what did it cost you guys to go there? Two hundred fifty bucks per person per, per person. So we kill the big ones, and we say we want to get the big ones taxidermy. Sure enough, they could help us out on that deal too. How much was that? So it's a thousand bucks for this lizard to get taxidermy. The taxidermist is in Mississippi. The taxidermist, we contact him that night and say, Hey, we've got five lizards coming your way. And uh, one of the drunk guys I was with says, When are we getting those sons of bitches back? And you know the answer it's going to be a year a or, or greater, right? And uh, he says, Sir, I'm processing 17 lizards a week. We do the math. This is about $830,000 a year in taxiderming lizards. So the moral of the story is there's a shitload of money <laughs> in these lizards. So just like you, if it's an animal, I want to cook it, right? So we absolutely. So these I lizards we go there and just start our own place. Yeah. Mex stream. We'll call it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so these, these lizards, they're sitting out there in the sun, man, for like three hours. And I'm watching all the flies go over and I'm walking in this smell of death. That's probably about five foot three off of the ground, somewhere around there, about nose level around there. Right. So I'm smelling it and I'm thinking, Whoo, I, I promise these boys I'm cooking this lizard. So we get the lizards back home. We start, pulling the hide off of them. And there's a lot of flesh on the hindquarters, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a red meat through there. There's a dark red meat someplace else. And then there's the tail meat that's a combination of a white meat, kind of like a alligator. Mm -hmm. Which, as they say, is the worst thing you can eat. There's a common, the, the white meat is good, right? It doesn't have any fat. But then there's the red shit meat underneath it like, like cleaning a big catfish kind of thing yes similar and okay. then there, there's only two pockets of fat on this whole lizard this a whole storage for calories is in two places and it's a yellow hard fat like a catfish kind of like, like a channel cat so to answer anybody's questions what's an iguana taste like to me it tastes like turtle and the reason why i'd say turtle is there's four meats in a Different turtle kinds, or whatever yeah this, the, this lizard is the same thing. So I soaked it in a pile of lime juice and cream, not buttermilk, cream. 
and I let it sit in there hoping that it would take some of this away. And then there was no way in hell we were going to all catch salmonella from these lizards that had set out in the sun all damn day out there. So I made etouffee. And it was the longest I had ever cooked an etouffee. It was about three hours. You don't make them sure it was good. I, well, it, it's it just, tastes like shit, which is not going to kill anybody. That thing, <laughs> that thing was is rubbery and leathery for the first two and a half hours. And then yeah. all of a sudden, like magic, yeah. I could take a fork through it, right? And <laughs> I think it's about ready, boys. It, it, was, it was time to go, but... I'll give you this, and Doc, you you know this. You could eat anything. It's what we're going to cover it up with so you could eat it. And so the reasons why Cajuns put so much heat on some bad shit is so— You don't taste the bad shit. You don't taste it. The reason why India has curry is a simple (laughs) fact— They didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have—the meat was rancid. It was bad. So we got to overcome that flavor— of spoil with with ingredients, and so kind of like perfume. There's perfume on it, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, on an old skank. But you could <laughs> you could take cream, butter, and MSG, and you could doctor anything. Really, it, butter is the secret to flavor. Real butter. You could drown anything in butter and make it. Especially better. something that lean. Oh, uh, yeah, it's. it's The hunt itself is by far, I never went 30 seconds without a target. No shit. There there wasn't 30 seconds without a target. And you would would take one target, and then you'd see something move. There's another target. And some of these things, you couldn't get a headshot. The head would be behind a branch. So now you got to get creative, and you shoot the son of a bitch in the spine. Make (laughs) him move. Make him twitch enough to where his head would pop (laughs) up. And as they're falling out of the tree... They're, they've got one toe that's probably I've seen that twice as long as the other toes. And that toe... But, but could they do a shirt button on the cuff? <laughs> yeah, they yeah. could button a shirt like nobody's business. <laughs> so that one toe would catch a hold of a branch. And it's hang there. And he's just there. And you could shoot off the toe or you could drill him in the face a little bit more because that toe wasn't going to do that all by itself. So once you short-circuited the brain, he'd hit the ground. And Juan would say, my friend... Is a good one, a big one. Is it? He would point at another. By far the coolest. Now, our accommodations is we stayed in a three-story. I've seen the damn, it looked like a damn. Mansion. I think it was. uh, El Chapo. El Chapo's nephew or something, dude. This is a three-story. All like ceramic tile floors. Beautiful place, man. And it's got 15 beds and six bathrooms inside this place. Big giant swimming pool, a hot tub, outdoor kitchen, inside kitchen. Who was all them girls in the pictures? There was not a single female there. We didn't even (laughs) see a female, but... I was expecting the answer to be a rental. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) we stay in this mansion for $400 a night. So if you had 10 guys, I mean, you could get by on this. And all around the perimeter of our mansion is iguanas. Like every tree. Shoot any on your own? So one of the guys who's on the trip, he had brought his bow with him. And he went out and was doing an archery iguana hunt. And he was just shanking these deals and sticking them to trees. (laughs) He took one (laughs) shot at an iguana (laughs) 
And just before the arrow hit that iguana, a four-foot iguana tail falls down to where he had sliced the tail off of one iguana and hit the other iguana. <laughs> so the most dangerous part of the trip wasn't the the jungle. It was the fact that there was five white guys on a mountain with all these lights on a three-story house, and I was thinking, I'm a target. Um, if Puerto Rico is not a peaceful, robbed, yeah. it's yeah. not a peaceful place. Right. And so like the subdivisions where the common people live would have like 10 foot concrete wall with wire and spikes. Uh, you got to go through a guarded gate and all this. And we're in this bright lit up house on top of a mountain. And I'm thinking, but you're well armed. No, I got a knife. Oh, <laughs> Well, I had to give back their pelicans. Yeah, we didn't have shit. Wow. We had a knife. Did you get any social cachet for being that guy's tough enough to eat iguanas, though? Oh, probably. Yeah. So when we went to town, we told people that we were cooking iguana and these are the things that we need. And they'd look at us like, you stupid, you nasty boy. son of a bitch for eating <laughs> that lizard, you know? And, uh, but our guide, he gets questioned all the time how do we cook them? Right. And, his deal was soak it in in uh, lime juice, grill it, chop it up real small, and then add a whole bunch of shit on top of it. He was really trying to hide it. So I say all this to say this is if you ever have the opportunity to go to Florida or to Puerto Rico, it is one of the most memorable hunts you would ever have. And part of being an outdoorsman is figuring out how to cook whatever it is that we kill. If you pack it out, the majority of the work's already done. Pulling the hide off of it and cutting it into pieces and trying to cook it is is a huge advantage, and it makes you twice the hunter for knowing how to cook it. Well, that's the fun part. Yeah. For me, it is. Yeah, the work's done, now the fun part. Yeah. So you've cooked, you said you go down to Texas, so that you've cooked all the exotics that they've got on the ranch, and they're all fabulous. I mean, most of those exotics down there that, Ibex, the kudu, the different deer varieties they have, goat varieties. I mean, those things are eating corn and grass, and they're they're basically grain fed, running around. They're they're prime animals. So, what's the what's your favorite game meat to cook? Uh, acorn fat and black bear. I like it too, and it's had a bad rap for years and years. That's Greasy. part. That's part of the uh, either that or it's getting to be a, a lot more wild pig. Mm -hmm. just because people are, you know, the same things that people say, you know, oh, you can't eat that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, guess what's for dinner tomorrow night? Yeah, we're eating it. You know, they're like, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know you could eat, you know, I didn't know that was edible. Yeah. You know how many people out here shoot, how many people in Arkansas shoot hogs? And let them lie. Yeah. Most of them. Yes. That wild pig is good. You just got to be careful. We, we, you know, you worry a little bit about trichinosis. No, nah, you, you really... That's why 1952. Yeah. Last yeah. But, and that, but is it, it more dangerous with the wild pigs, though? Nah. You know what's dangerous? Is no, trichinosis was in pork meat because they were feeding uh, restaurant scraps to commercial right. pigs and restaurant scraps. I think it was something to do with the rats in the dumpsters, basically. Mm. Yeah. So, one of the <laughs> things that Chef over here and I have learned is people don't cook shit right. You know that, Rich. Oh, yeah. I mean, you talk about it all the time. And it's, it's, you got to believe in the process and the process is don't overcook it. That bear meat is a phenomenal meat 
And it's it's a blessing that you shot one, for one. It probably cost you a bunch of money, for two, to even get it done. And so you better not eat it on a paper plate when it's all said and done. You got to whoop out the China boy. That's Yeah, appreciate it. You're not getting one of these very often. <laughs> all right. So um, bear meat's great. The wild boar, I think the reason why people don't like the wild boar is because it tastes like pig. And our commercial pork tastes like whatever Nothing. you put pa- on it. Paper plate. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's no I, I think a lot of it was just the smell of a, of, of a wild hog. I mean, I've killed I've killed some wild hogs, and I think that's what ter- turns people. Yeah, off walking up bit. on them occasionally, you're not you're not yeah. first thoughts. Not, I want to put this in my mouth. Exactly. Yeah. So the process of any game meat, and and even farm raised meat, is from the time that it's killed. Me and Martinez used to do a pig killing. I grew up doing pig killings where we'd have twenty hogs inside of a trailer, and the first pig killed was the best tasting pig. Oh yeah. The, the stress that all the other animals are going through watching this and snorting up blood and doing all this crazy stuff, that's when that meat goes downhill quick. So if you kill that bear, the the first thing is, is you want to do an ethical shot on the bear. You want it to die as soon as possible. If you gut shot that pig or the bear, yeah, it it instantly lost about 20 points. <laughs> Right. right. And then if you didn't put it on ice and cool it, well, you lost about another 20 points. There comes a time to where, yeah, you've ruined that shit enough. Mm-hmm. I don't care how much buttermilk you put on it. It's going to be it's going to be bad. You got some bad eating ahead of you. Yes. If you don't handle it correctly. Yeah. So uh, your role at Snake Mountain is just cook? C- cookie. Cookie. Camp, camp chef and camp first sergeant. Well, everybody else is out hunting if I'm not. If yeah. I didn't. So if it wasn't one of the hunts that I would feel comfortable guiding for. I'm usually running camp, running camp, keeping everybody fed. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Breakfast and dinner, lunches. Sandwich. Yeah, bring your own pokey bait. I got you. Pokey bait. I got you. Yeah, the army ter- military terminology. A pogue is a person other than a gunman. So anybody like admin people and the ones that get to the PX and buy up all the beef jerky and shit before the actual combat guys can get there, they're called pogues. So become pokey bait to, to have a pocket full of Copenhagen of beef jerky and you know, whatever else you can stash. So we right. had uh, Casey, Casey Brewster on our show. Phenomenal story. His yeah. life story is amazing. I don't know if you know it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've worked with him for two and a half years now, Snake Mountain. That's a lot of campfires. Yeah, that's a lot of eating cat food as a kid. Yeah. So now what kind of hunts do they do there? Um, whatever's in season, we do a draw. We do one, roughly one trip per month, um, either hunting or fishing or a combo. Um, and, and it's whatever's in season. For our deer hunts and our bear hunts, because of the popularity, we have to do a drawing. Right. Um, other than that, it's, it's a pig, because Casey does the, the hog eradication work. So he's got the pigs dialed in. Um, that one's a pretty easy one for us to pull off. And he's got a, he's got a squirrel feist, and a couple of our other volunteers have squirrel feist. So squirrel hunts are pretty popular, and we can do, you know, 10 months of the year the season's open. Right. So as far as the hog hunts, I mean, how the, how's that? Tell us about the hog hunt. The public, public land, you know, when you can go in there after... Uh, was it after, after deer season? After deer season, yeah, yeah. Partway through deer season, it opens up. But but it's rifle deal. You're uh, killing them. Rif- rifle bow, and then we have access to a small in holding inside of private land inside Ozark National Forest that we have the ability to to bait for for hogs and stuff on as well. So it extends our season for hog hunts a little right. more. You bet. So, but back up a little bit and just make sure all our listeners know. 
all about your organization and everything that you're doing. Okay, Snake Mountain Pack Goats, started by Dr. Casey Brewster and some of the guys he served with. And we use pack goats to get um, first responders, veterans, and law enforcement officers out in the backcountry for outdoor therapy. Healing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the outdoors does a, does a part. The camaraderie does a part. And then the animals do a part. And the goats actually pack all your stuff yep. up in. Yeah. 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 Pull up a picture of a uh, <laughs> of a pack goat. Yes. Yeah, so anybody that was at the squirrel cook-off, we hit, he had the yep. he had the, um, the We had them at the... We had the goats also at uh, Rick Spicer, Packrats, Bruja, Bushwhack, and they were at last year's Black Bear Bonanza, and we'll be there again March 9th at Black Bear Bonanza here in Bentonville. Yeah. For Bill, backcountry hunters. a lot of niggas. squirrel dust there, too, I guarantee you. Will we? Nice. Yes, you will. There's going to be some giveaways out here. Okay. Okay, good. So I will uh, be, Me and Murphy will be there all day, man in the veterans booth. So another part of you're giving back because you're the liaison for the BHA. Backcountry hunters and anglers. Uh, we have a veterans program called the Armed Forces Initiative. And I am the one of two Arkansas State veterans liaisons, me and uh, Stephen Lonan. And your role there is what? We're, we're the, our official titles, um, Armed Forces Initiative State Veterans Liaison. We're just the veterans guy for BHA. Yeah. There's a veteran that wants to get mentored, a new hunting veteran. They send them our way. Um, we do. Our idea is that we're talking so much about replacing tribe and mission that when you come out of the army and if you find outdoor therapy helpful, <coughs> we want that to become conservation to become your new mission. We want, you know, the wild game, the appreciation for the wild places, the public lands we have, the public waters we have. That's what we want to. We want to be able to turn that into your new mission so that you can get out there and enjoy all those things, the, you know. Right. The, the BS around the campfire, the making fun of each other, the sharing an adult beverage if that's what you want with with fellow vets or fellow first responders. You know, we have a lot of guys talk about stuff around the campfire, three beers in, that they wouldn't. But I, know, I, know, I guarantee you some of the stuff we've heard, these people haven't told their wives. Oh, right. you bet. Or their oh, yeah. kids, because it wasn't a place where they, Had you comfort. know. You talk about this stuff with people that have experienced at least something similar. Right. You know, that's where your comfort zone for opening up is. You bet. And we try to provide that. Mm. So BHA, the, if you're not familiar with that organization, they're, a, they're an organization that uh, through funding, through grants, through all of this stuff, big goal is to buy more public land. And preserve what we already have and, pres and preserve access to it. And preserve There's access. no good if we can't access it. So it, as we continue to grow in population and people continue to spread across the country, hunting lands, fishing lands, outdoors, wildlife areas are lost because subdivisions, right? Right. And so this organization is set up to protect all of that. And not only that, educate people. And it's not just something that's here in Arkansas. It's all over the country. Fastest growing conservation group in the nation right now, last I heard. Yeah, which is which is a big deal. Yeah, as, as other conservation hook and bullet clubs are dying out, yeah, we're growing and we have a more, uh, a younger and more diverse uh, membership base. You know, the idea that the, the hunters and the hippies got together with the fly fishermen and the backpackers is, it's really true. Look around at one of our, come to the Black Bear Bonanza and look around at the people. They're not all bear hunters there. Yeah. You know, so we have a, a a guest that was on our show who's actually making a knife that will be Garrett. Yep, yeah. and this knife 
is beautiful, man. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it's one from last year. It was a work of art. So this one this year actually has an inlay of a bear out of the femur bone of the bear that Clay shot. Out of Batman. Yep. And so that femur bone is inlaid inside of this knife, and it'll be uh, auctioned <laughs> off or raffled off at, at the Black Bear, which is a, which is a great deal. Um, other than... That particular thing, BHA and Snake Mountain, what else are you doing? Um, How do you make a living, dude? Retired military. So you're living. I, got, I had some cardiac issues coming out, and that ended my, my military and civilian work career. So do you cook for money any other times? Uh, not as a rule. I got you. You know, if there's a special event, somebody wants me to come do, holler at me, and I might do it if it's find it interesting. Will you come cook with me? Yeah. Name the time and place. I'll be there. All right. I'll I'll take you. I'll, I'll take you. We do uh, privately. I do uh, some bear hunts just for outfitting for bear hunters. Only a couple a year, but they're just vets. I got some neighbors that do it as a not really for profit. They're just recouping their fees from their own gotcha. bear baiting and stuff. But I take a couple of veterans out through both Snake Mountain Pack Goat and uh, BHA mentor program, AFI mentor program. Well, at what point? Of being around those guys, I mean, you, you said what well, you're on this fishing trip. Do you feel like that you're serving these other people? Have you have you got to that? A, a servant's heart's a different deal. Like most people that are into helping others don't even realize that they're helping people. Um, yeah, it definitely. There's definitely a selfish aspect to it, right? You know, having being of service is it feels good. It does feel good. You know, it's rewarding. It does. You know, I think it'd be a failure not to to mention that. There is some selfish motivation here. Yeah, because you're healing you know? yourself. Yeah. There's shit that you're searching for that you're still trying to find. Absolutely. Yeah. And you find a little piece of it every time. You every do. campfire. Every campfire, every meal. Yep. You know, there's a little bit of a tear. What were you going to say, Martinez? Nothing. Cut him right in the middle of a bite of food. Good That's timing. I was, it, I Felt was, like you're an Applebee's waitress. Watch him take a bite of food. Come back. Like, how is everything? Like, mm-hmm. You need more tea? <laughs> she just put tea in there. Uh, well, that's about, that's about the mission, right? That's what we set out to hear today was what he does, how he does it, why you got there. And I think you nailed it, man. You told me that you didn't have nothing to say. Well, I like, I like to hear myself talk. So I knew I'd be interesting <laughs> to me. The challenge was being interesting for everybody else. And I think he's got a great voice. Did you guys notice how, how good of a voice he's oh, got? Oh, yeah, he, he uh, for, for years, to... I, I made money as a, I was reading audiobooks. Okay. It was penthouse letters no is what I was reading. Do <laughs> 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 so you have the braille version of that? Yeah, it's very tactical. But you know, the hardest part about Braille with the penthouse letters is you only, can only read with one hand. Uh, <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> Come on, funny feeling. No, 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 he's good. He, if y'all noticed, he would reposition the mic. He's listening to himself in the headphones. Yeah, he's yeah, a it pro. It, it made my first night easy, so thank you. you so, I, I do what I can. You keep the expectations low, we will keep you happy. <laughs> so this is what I think, I think we'll do. We'll go through our final questions because I know what's going to happen. There's still probably another 45 minutes of the right. show left once we get through these final questions. So, Bill, what do you got? I was just curious about those pack goats. I mean, you know how your dog is. He's got a personality. Yep. We call them personalities. What are the pack goats like? Are they, they got their own way about themselves. And I was very skeptical. My mother-in-law has goats, and they're like, you know, breeding goats, milking goats. And they're kind of a pain in the ass. You know, they're a goat. They want to get out there and 
do their thing. So I, I was not, yeah, yeah. I was not really looking forward to hanging out with goats. But you get out there with them. These goats are, they're used to being around people. They've got good trail manners. They're carrying my stuff, so my back doesn't hurt when I get there, which is which is nice. And they've all got mostly good personalities. We got one asshole named Ranger. Yeah, uh, the one goat out of the what twelve or so I think Dr. Brewster's got going. Um, he's kind of a, a hard headed one, but they've all got pretty good personalities. It's like hanging around with a couple of cool dogs, but they carry your stuff and follow you around and don't need a leash. They look like they get up for going, or, or they oh they're all about know, hide from you or something. And surprisingly, like, uh, he's got the picture pulled up here of the one of our big goats that everybody sees at our events we take him, one, the big white goat. He's 240 pounds and can carry, like, 48 to 50 pounds yeah. on him, 25% of body weight as an adult. And you can take a 200-plus-pound goat, you can load these things down. So when we're out there, we'll go out for three days. We'll take I'll take 65 pounds of food to, pe- to feed people for, you know, from Friday to Sunday. You know, it's like we're car camping out there. We're eating good. We've got, you know, you want to take a pillow, take a pillow. You don't, it's not, we're not really like backpacking anymore. Mm. Right. As the goats have gotten older and their weight carrying ability has increased, we can, I'll pack a cast iron skillet if I need it for whatever dish that weekend, you know. And I, I get to cook on it and I don't have to carry it. It's the best yeah, of both right. worlds. Oh, yeah. That's cool. And they kind of handled scraps. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to carry it. They're not like, uh, I've, I've you done, just throw your trash on the ground yeah. and go to lead it. Oh, yeah. I've done Colorado with the, on horseback and stuff, and you got to carry it either alfalfa pellets or, you know, the. Well, these goats are happy. Yeah. Poison ivy. Yeah. Yeah. You just turn them loose. And the, the campsites, when we get done, look like a landscaping crew of his family. <laughs> like through. Look, like, you look know? like Pebble Beach. Yeah. I, yeah. They look like golf course when we're done. I remember how many goats do you bring in that one time, Joe? Where at? At your old place in Maysville. I brought two in. They clean that whole son of a bitch up. Yeah. They eat the bark off the trees as far as I understand. <laughs> what do you Old got? Billy and Bob. Yep. Uh, real quick, what's your favorite taco meat? Ooh. Da, 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 That's a tough da, one. Da, da. I'm a pastor yeah, guy. Yeah, pork carnitas. carnitas. I've got a, a world-famous locally campfire pork taco that I do. Damn it. I do it on the cheeks if I can get them. Oh, yeah. Hey, let me tell you about another cut off the face that people don't know on these hogs. The temple. So if you roast a whole hog or if you just roast a hog head. Did you say temple or nipple? The temples. Okay. So Yeah, curiously, hogs have a third nipple right on top of their head. (laughs) Just like an iguana. Fun fact. Fun fact. (laughs) Full circle. They could see see birds. Uh, (laughs) So like if if you're cooking at Memphis in May or a whole hog event, the chef's cut, the, the, the piece that you want is going to be this temple meat. And it you core it out just like you would a cheek on a fish, right? right. And so like once, an old halibut. Yeah. So once you core out this piece of meat, it's it's not as gelatinous and nasty as a cheek, um, but it's a relatively non-working muscle. Right, it's not part of the jaw. It's it's just right there, and that's going to be the most buttery, tender, heavenly piece of the pig is a temple, and it's it's kind of a byproduct in uh, Texas at the World Championships. We had a ten pound bag of pork temple that we made carne guisada with, Ooh, and good. and it was fantastic. So 
Casey's been trying to talk me into doing a uh, whole hog underground pig head on one of our events. I would love to do that. Do you remember whenever I'd love to be there and I'll drink whiskey you guys do? Do you remember, Joe, whenever we, uh, I cook, I smoked that whole hog head and I made that 160 quart pot of them pinto beans. And I'd smoked this hog head for 10, 12 hours, right? And I threw the whole hog head inside of these beans and we ate them beans all damn day out partying. Until you get to those last scoops where the molars and shit are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that, hey, that's not a bean at all. <laughs> there was people spitting out teeth and shit all over the place, man. <laughs> so one year for my birthday, we made we made chicharrones, mm-hmm. which my my you know my family did whenever we was kids. And Joe was kind enough to come over into my house and 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 cook that. That was that was a good deal. Well, we we made, did that again. Yeah, we made a hundred pounds of crackling. And Bansley's hog farm, out by where your dog was welcome. Uh, <laughs> Alpena, Alpena, they, Arkansas. They uh, they couldn't sell all this skin. And one day he called and he says, man, I got about 100 pounds of pig skin. You want them? Hell yeah. And it was four crawfish sacks, plum full of skin with a little bit of fat, a little bit of meat on there. What's well, good? Man. And we built fires, took the big black pots. I and had like three of them big cast iron pots. Yeah, like a, a cauldron. You'd, you'd oh, big you cauldron. Yeah, that's big what I was one. thinking. I still got them on a porch of my shop. And today. we made cracklings. And that particular day, we're, we worked our ass off. It was like April, but it was his birthday. Yeah, it was my birthday. It was April, but it was some damn April where it was 85, 90 oh, yeah. degrees. It was a hot. Like yesterday. Yeah. yeah. It was a hot son of a bitch. Global warming was all over that place. He's drinking. <laughs> we're drinking and it's stirring. It goes back to even the beginning. We have we had a buddy of ours who he ain't no cook, and uh, but he likes hanging out with people who can. And so he says, "Man, I'd like to come over." And he says, "What do I need to bring?" I said, "Son, you need to bring a sharp ass knife because we're gonna have a lot of cutting to do." So I've got my good stuff out there, and I'm loaning it. And he pulls up, and he whoops out this Harbor Freight sack. To where inside of it is the genuine Rambo survival knife with the compass, the sinkers, the fishing line. The authentic one. <laughs> yeah. The one from yeah. Harbor Freight. Yeah. Where you could sew you up, sew your shit <laughs> yeah. up there. Had the two matches in it, the little compass and all. And he goes trying to work over this pork hide <laughs> with that. Luckily for him, it come with that sharpening stone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that looked like a damn lupa. Kept him busy, I bet. <laughs> looked like a yeah. lupa. Looked like that thing them parrots sharpen their bill on. Yeah. He, he had that inside there. And uh, so we went to cooking, and we worked these damn cracklings hours and hours. We rendered down our own fat. We put in the, the cracklings, pull them out, let them cool, <laughs> throw them back in the pot so they could pop. We got cardboard all set out there. We threw them all on. I seasoned the shit out of them. And old boy bit into one. He says, you know, you could buy these at the grocery for 99 cents a bag. Yeah. No, not the same. So you remember the, the, I would say the crackling soot, we would call it. Yeah. Billy Thomas says, hey, can I get a bag of that? For cornbread? His mother took it. Made I said, only if she brings me some cornbread. Yeah. You can use that stuff like panko, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Have you ever heard of this? Yeah, crackling bread. Yeah. Yeah. But. The cornbread deal. The cornbread yeah. part's oh, new to me, but I'm not unfamiliar with crackling crumbs she as a breading agent me or a piece ingredient. Of cornbread and it was. Well, you damn. can't dry out the cornbread if you put these little bitty chicharrones inside there. 
They you, alter just the pork fat content just comes yeah. back so out into it's the like bacon, bacon, bacon oh, it sounds bit, amazing. Bacon bit size chunks. Yes. Yeah. And uh, just the soot out of the bottom of that cauldron when it's, yeah, it was, yeah, damn, it was good. Did you have him another one? Uh, yes. Uh, I don't think we, maybe I wasn't paying attention, but did, did we <laughs> that's ask, possible. Did we ask you about wife and kids? Yeah, we talked about it for like 16, 17 minutes. You missed it. <laughs> I must have been the They're all red headed. They're all red headed. <laughs> no, 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 no kids. Uh, me, the wife, and a couple pups. Okay. So, uh, Sidebar conversation. We talked with the fighter pilot about mattresses and like theft of. No, like sleep number. Like what's your sleep number? What kind of mattress? You know, and and the the fans really enjoyed this. Well, I've been going through some serious. I'm not going to compare it to PTSD, but there's a few things in life that will ruin your day. One hole in your sock. Your whole day's wrecked. Right, and you right. you knew that some bitch was about to go. You knew your toenail. If going. I think it's about to go, I won't even put that some. You won't even give them the opportunity no. to betray you that day. Yeah, no. But once your toe Smart penetrates man. that sock, and you feel it, it's gone. Slick on the bottom of your boot. My middle daughter recently, I took her to soccer practice, and my sock was just bunched up. Oh yeah, wrecky. And we get to the field, and I take my. What the hell are you taking your shoe off for? My socks messed up. So you. You're going to take your shoe off, right? My sock is messed up. I'll throw a sock All away. Right, then. Oh, I'll throw them away and go to Walmart and buy I'll a 12 pack. I'll when I don't even have to shit. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, I'd finish, but you do you. So so that's that's exactly the segue I was looking for because the sock will starts off in the morning. You know you're screwed on this. A dirty asshole will wreck the entire middle section of your day. Until you put the snuff in it, and then it's, <laughs> it's unchapped, just like that. <laughs> <laughs> when your ass takes a dip of snuff, your whole world changes. When you got to take a grizz, say, like 10 o'clock, and you're not shiny clean down there, your day's ruined. Yeah, 2 you o'clock, you're you having a bad, a, bad day. You don't have a tumbleweed and crack your ass like you do. I, I don't know what it would be like to have a bald asshole like I've you, Martinez. I mean, I can but, wipe it clean. Yeah. Done. I ain't that guy. Doc, you got a it, it, you got a crusty ass on. Yeah, it. yeah, I'm a furry dude. It yeah. happens. I, I was going to ask him if that was related to hot sauce. <laughs> hot sauce <laughs> intake. No, I mean I eat a lot of hot. I, I didn't know if you just like controlled burned it back there and <laughs> called it clean. <laughs> he just shaves it. Okay, but the evening disaster or nighttime comes with the pillow. I and, just recently bought a new Okay, pillow. so that we need to that. we need to di- we need to discuss this because right now, just to the south of our big uh, dresser, there is a stack of pillows that didn't make it. I'm right okay? there with you. There's mm-hmm. this son of a bitch who sells the pillows and the slippers. Screw him. The Fox News shit. Got, they got I, the big old cross. Yeah, Fox News dude. Okay, uh, the my pillow guy. You don't yeah. like my pillow? My pillow's a piece of my shit. My pillow's ain't worth shit. Have you got something you're throwing hey, away? Hey, I'm going to tell you that's probably second place right now. I mean, that's lasted longer than a lot of them. I've got one of them ones that looks like a woman's uterus. Okay, so I just one? ordered one the other day. I'll show. Don't waste your money. It's horrible. As long as you, if you sleep on your back, you're good. You this, roll over, you're fucked. This uh, yeah. Every seven days it starts to bleed. It's horrible. <laughs> or I guess every twenty eight days it bleeds for seven. No, it's twenty eight days. It's, yeah, bleeds for seven. This uh, nine hundred men in an infantry battalion. This zero women terrible. to be a medic for. <laughs> this son of a bitch right here. This is the one that I just got in. Any worth shit? I got one. Look at this thing. 
If you're, if Doc, you're a back sleeper, describe describe the shape of said pillow. If you crossed a yoga bolster with an anvil, <laughs> you would have something <laughs> approximating that. Okay, hey, we just bought you, some you, of them. You give your uh, second opinion on this one. And Michelle's is like yeah, half, that, the, half the size of I mine. I can't even tell what's going on. And if, if, like you say, if you sleep on your back, that's so much cradle in your old head. Hit that, hit that pillow and look, and there's like 26,000 people that say that this is the pillow that you need to sleep, put your head on. If you sleep on your back, it's perfect. I so, hate it. so I, I long struggled and I had a my pillow, but it was a Walmart my pillow, and not to disparage our local business but the walmart my pillow is not the real my pillow it's like made of chunks of other my pillows i thought that's how all my pillows were made uh, my it wife is, who works at walmart told me it's not a real my pillow I, we ordered a my pillow oh and it was the same thing it, it, there's there's nothing yeah there's so nothing. i hate so i want to make harrison so uh, <laughs> uh, uh uh i'm trying to remember uh, over a year or so ago i'll I'm a fan of Barstool Sports and its founder, Dave Portnoy, and he's a stomach sleeper as I am. And he had gone on I'm this the same rant, way. rant about pillows. And so he recommended the company store, a Cool Z pillow. And it looks like it's been rebranded to just a luxury. And this is like a $100 pillow. I'm not going to lie. And it's not. Hey, $100 is cheap for not sleeping. Yeah. But mm -hmm. it's. So for us stomach sleepers, it's kind of like our mattress discussion. I'm scared to death to sleep <laughs> on my stomach. Right, so I'm going to crawl in my butthole. So <laughs> it's a risk I'm willing to take. You need to move. <laughs> <laughs> you might need to move. Sometimes he just wakes up and somebody's put snuff in there again. <laughs> Damn it. It's a lot of mileage out there. So, uh, okay. for, uh, for us so, stomach sleepers, this uh, company store, Cool Z, or their deluxe pillow, it's not the fluffiest pillow in the world. Now, are we, a, are we a, a soft or a firm? I'm going to so say a medium. I'm kind of a medium. So this is so for me, it's just enough to keep my arm from going to sleep so I can sleep on my stomach. And I'm pretty much it's like sleeping on because I have a pretty firm mattress, a flat pillow. So it's almost like I'm sleeping on the ground. So you sleep just like a, a green army man. Yeah, like on the, belly I'm the same way. But I, but I fight the same thing with my arms going to sleep. So I wake this up is just enough because you ain't supposed to sleep, to sleep on, on your, your belly, man. Hey, man. That's the only way I can sleep, Joe. I wish I could sleep on my back, but I'm afraid I'm, I might get drunk and I might <laughs> one choke time, on my one time. I'm afraid that a succubus is going to come in and drain my life force. I got to protect Suc I'm the I'm the same way. <laughs> <laughs> them goddamn succubus will ruin your day. One time me and Martinez was staying down there at the, 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 the damn River Spirit in Tulsa, the Margaritaville. Oh, and, when I got naked. And... <laughs> and uh, First of all, let me tell you, it this, for his pleasure. this one right here says it's a cervical pillow for pain relief. I think you're real close because <laughs> when I, I think that's of cervix, I, I think of a cervical pillow. I've got that same one. So I do, too. I'll give you another one if you want. So Martinez Company was, store pillow. This is a uh, was this right at COVID? I'm going to say circus 22. Yeah, this is right at COVID. I mean, it, it's not full mandate. You can still be a human. I and never wore a, mattra a, a mattress on his face at all. And uh, we, we, uh, we're we down in the pool, and they've got a pool like Las Vegas with the bar stools and shit inside the pool. And we're, we're sitting there in the pool, and somebody, it was like that. Was it on Porky's? Where, where was the baby Ruth in the pool? 
Uh, uh, Caddyshack. Caddyshack. Yeah. Okay. So I, didn't, I know it wasn't Porky's. Okay. So that's the, the uh, hole in the wall. That was the hole, yeah. in, the, yeah, hole the, in the bathroom. Wall. The basic Caddyshack scenario starts. COVID has just started going, and son, son of a bitch pukes in the pool. Pukes in the pool. Not shit in the pool, but pukes in the pool. The event staff comes running out of this deal. Everybody out of the pool. Everybody out of the pool. Devil's got you ain't shitting you. Get the fuck out. <laughs> so we we kind of ease on out of the pool, not knowing, you know, we got to hold Because there was a way at the other end. Yeah, and we got to hold our man card a little bit. If there was a terrorist attack, we didn't want to be the first one out of the pool and get shot up. <laughs> right? So we're going to ease on out, let everybody else get killed. <laughs> and and then we'll we didn't hear no gunshots. That dude will be out of bullets or whatever. And so we ease on out and come to find out some old fat girl had puked down there on the other end of the pool. And whatever filtration system they've got, it said pool. It takes about seven minutes before they say, "All right, y'all can uh, get back." Okay, hey, this pool is sixty thousand gallons of goddamn water, but you can that get back about in as after seven minutes. The face mask, but, <laughs> yeah, uh, really. <laughs> So Martinez had been doing some drinking down there in that pool, and I had a, a dinner deal that I had to be at at like 7 o'clock. So we get in the elevator, and he says, hey, I'm going to go up to the room and freshen up a little bit, and then I'll be down at that dinner. So I knew that meant that he ain't coming to the damn dinner. That's how we speak English together. <laughs> He's going to get the, the gravitational pull of that bed. <laughs> so I party nice down sheets. there. We eat dinner. We it was a, it was a sanctioned dinner that was supposed to be had. So we eat, and uh, so <laughs> I order Martinez a damn hamburger and French fries, and he stuff. saved my life. And I come walking up into this room. First, there's two beds. So if any of you listeners are gonna be a jackass, there's two beds inside the room. I walk in. Which ones y'all use? And there's a. <laughs> <laughs> I walked the one with the uterus pillows by the window. <laughs> we had the, no, actually, yeah. I got the one by the door. <laughs> you were by the door. I walked here in, by the door, <laughs> and there is a Hitler documentary on, and the volume is about fifty six. Okay, on the TV, it may have been seventy six because I can't hear what the shit. There's this documentary going on on Hitler, and it's just loud as shit. And I look into the bathroom. You know, in a hotel, the bathroom's the first door on your left, and so I look in there. And it looks like there had been a damn cat inside there that had been playing with the toilet paper. The toilet paper had all been <laughs> spooled off, and it's all bundled up. And I thought, damn it, boy, there's been a damn cat inside this bathroom. And I go around the corner in that very first bed. Martinez, a starfish, is just pointed straight up. He's he's in this sleeping position that you're I'm a talking, stomach sleeper. <laughs> talking about. Well, and some it, of it stuck to a starfish. He or... ain't got no blanket on or nothing. It's just his asshole. It was summertime. It's <laughs> pointed towards Hitler <laughs> on the TV. So I take the bag of hamburger and french fries, and I just put it next to his face, and then I go back down. Where all the people are at. Hey, what a nice surprise that was for me to wake up. That <laughs> warm burger right here by my face. I come back. Oh, son of a bitch. I done eat that whole son of a bitch. I come back in the room about one o'clock and the burger's gone. <laughs> and the asshole's still pointing up in the air. No, I was awake when you come back. No, in. you were not because I took a picture of your asshole and sent it down there to all those people. <laughs> no, that was the first time. He was awake waiting. No, I was awake when you come back. Oh, hell, maybe. So, anyways. Hell, I'd sobered. Up. So, my problem that I got right now. I wonder what kind of 
pillows they had, not so much because I slept That's, good that day. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure right into it. Nothing to do with it. It would it be worth because I, I think that if you steal the pillow from the hotel, it's probably like returning the rental car with a half a tank. I think that you know that fuel for the rental car place is going to cost you seven dollars a gallon or whatever it is. Right. I think you're probably going to pay a pretty good surcharge on taking the pillow from the hotel. Well, don't but, take it from your room. Just take it off the mage cart. Right. right. So right. The, your, you your, your room's got the same number before and after your visit. That You've done this. <laughs> yeah, I got a whole stack of pillows at home from various hotels. They well, all take, suck. Well, I got ten pillows on the bed, one that I use. But the hotel of pillows, because they decorate a, a bed in a hotel a lot like any woman would. There's way too many pillows on that sumbitch. So you go in there and you I don't throw. Need but one. I I hate the multiple pillows. I mean, I I like two because if I want to prop myself up to watch TV, like uh, if, I'm a, 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 a sleeping one between my knees for the if, oh, for, for the crap back. If yeah. some Hitler shits on TV, I don't want to prop myself up and watch it. So, I'm good with. So two, here's bro. my question: What do you guys? Does the full moon fuck you guys up on sleeping? <laughs> nah, man, <laughs> I sleep right through it. Are you serious? I mean, I guarantee you that's a thing because I my backside sleep. gets a little extra hairy and I tend to howl at it. But other than that, <laughs> no cannot symptoms sleep. at all. I cannot sleep. <laughs> that might have been the VA meds that do it's that. The too. damn dogs on the full moon. I have not night. slept in about last three, three or four days. Well, one of one of the things is is I, I was just talking about this yesterday. You, you go ten years ago, and a full moon was just called the full moon. It was what regulated the tides and all of this and. Now, I'm a Mexican sleeping. They've got to name every one of these moons. It's There's a red moon. Yeah, beaver, so beaver the moon. next super moon, last super moon of the year. And so the, farmers, the first blue moon. Blue, beaver. There was a beaver snow here. Snow moon. Is there a snow moon, Bill? I think that's the one we got right now. Blue moon of Kentucky. Are we that parched of entertainment that we have to start naming every damn moon? I'll tell you, if it, if it keeps you from sleeping, I don't give a shit what it's called, but there's something to it. Seriously, you guys don't the, the full moon didn't deck you. No, the only thing that screws me up is a bad pillow, and I am suffering. I am too. I I am suffering. If any of our listeners can go ahead and vouch for a pillow company and say that, but you got to be, but you have to tell if it's yeah, if you're firmness, a stomach sleeper, yeah, or your back sleeper, because that, anybody, all can, that's relevant. As a back side in my, sleeper and a fat guy, I've got a extra firm bamboo pillow that I have no idea where my wife got. Oh, I have got money. I had the bamboo pillow. I tried the it's bamboo. Got, it's got to be the extra firm one, though. Well, but the bamboo pillow gave you the the deal where you could unzip it and pull some cushion out, right, of it to make it less firm. Yeah, kind of cut customized. And I think I get the bamboo pillow. It's got a nice case, right? It's got kind of, kind of got the... Uh, that case is supposed to stay a little cooler than normal. Yep. It's so got, your cool side of the pillow is even got, cooler. Got a quality case. And I'm thinking, hey, I can sleep on this pillow. And I wake up about two hours later, and my neck's just kinked. And I'm so the same way. I walked inside the bathroom with the bamboo pillow, and I went to shed and stuffing. And you would be amazed how so much you think shed. it was too firm. It was yeah. just cranking your. Head I'm back. grabbing stuffing, and there's a little old wicker basket in there, and I heap that thing. It looks like a, <laughs> a an ice cream cone. With shit, my wife. I finally get to sleep. My wife comes in and says, "What's all that shit inside?" <laughs> she wakes me up. I come to the conclusion just last night that my wife is a cowgirl, and not in a sexual way in the bedroom. I'm gonna say not. 
she's a cowgirl because she likes to disrupt and move shit in the middle of the night, just like a cowboy moves cows from one pasture to the other. It was 11 o'clock. She knocks on my daughter's door and says, are you okay? And I said, she's fucking sleep. Let her sleep. She goes in and asks the boy. This is 11 o'clock at night. And then goes in and fills a whole cup full of ice and wants to lay there in bed and crush this ice. Well, I'm kind of an ice eater myself. I, I figured supposed you. to indicate low iron levels. It is, is it? That's spoken by Doc. Yeah. Well, but I, I got to put ice on mine. Or salt. Ice, ice on your salt. ice? Salt, I mean. Huh. It's what a, does that mean? You side sleeper, Doc? I, I'm, definitely, I'm a side sleeper. I do the rotisserie chicken thing and just flop from side to side all night. <laughs> oh, I did, I'm like cool this. Side I'm wearing out of good, Oh, yeah, out. yeah. Good cool side of a pillow. Will, okay. Will make, couldn't make or break my sleep experience. <laughs> how about the How about the mattress? What do you... What, we never come to a conclusion on the mattress. No, I, I will say. Uh, if I mean, we know a mattress guy. We do. But I wish somebody could tell me, hey, here's what you do. You come in here and you sleep in one of these beds. We'll tell you what you need. I don't even know if the mattress is as important as the pillow. I agree with you. Because I, I, I can get drunk and I can sleep right there <laughs> or a pile of rocks and be good. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think the mattress is a uh, – I read uh, – one of our commenters said – just buy a cheaper mattress that you're not emotionally invested in because you didn't spend too much money on it. And put and a just, on it. Well, and just that. replace it every couple of years if you don't like it rather than spending a bunch of money on a really nice mattress. Well, to that point, I saw an ad yesterday and I wondered, how much does a mattress cost when they oh, say save 800 bucks on this exactly. order? 800 bucks. Some of these are like two or $3,000. $5,000. Well, Woo. the mattresses are always on sale, though. And I, I've been curious and people are like, oh, those are all well, money, you money laundering January operations. Don't the white suit. Oh yeah, the, like the mattress warehouse when they're they're on yeah. one corner. You look across the highway. There's another one. Yeah, yeah. They've got to be laundering cartel money or something. There's not yeah. that many people buying thousand dollar mattresses. I can't so imagine. If I can tell you, you know, I go back and forth. Sometimes I sleep like a like a log, and other times I I'm toss the same burn. way. But and when I, I sleep, I'm drunk, uh, and there's no full moon. And there's no full moon. I, no full I, moon. I'm not drunk. There. I'm sleep like a baby. So you're I, a lunar ex- alcoholic, is what you're saying. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> but if that's ex- the thing. I've been experimenting with melatonin some lately, and uh, man, if you want something that will help you fall asleep and have the craziest dreams of your Tyler life, all PM, brother, and then wake up at 4 a.m. Melatonin is for you. Melatonin <laughs> doesn't work on me. It'll put me to the sleep, gummies, but then I've it wakes me up. Lay it on your tongue, deal. Tylenol the, PM. The what's the God dang it. It's like NyQuil, but it's clear. It's still diphenhydramine. Is, oh, yeah. it's, yeah, it's, 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 ben, it's basically Benadryl. It's for most yeah. or something like, like that. Z-Quil. 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 That's exactly what it is. I take a shot of that, and for the most part, I can sleep all night. Let me ask you this. But I don't sleep much. I mean, I get up at 5 o'clock, go to bed at 10 or 11. Hmm. I'm good. Well, if you if you get six, though, you're hitting two. You're... you're, you're Circadian, what your sleep cycle goes in three hour chunks, roughly. So you'll be coming out of that lightest sleep if you sleep six hours. If you go to sleep about 11, get up at five, then you're right at where you need to be. If I sleep more than that, I'm afraid I'm missing something. Do we all have the ability to say, I'm going to wake up at 4 a.m. and look at the clock and it's 358? I do. Yeah, but it's because I've been up every six minutes since midnight <laughs> to make sure I don't miss a stupid alarm. No, no, I mean, when I sleep good, I mean, like deer season. I mean, I'll get up at 5 o'clock every morning, and it's usually 4.57 or 4.58. Yeah. yeah. But I can mentally tell myself, deer season, I'm getting up at 4. Do you think, because I can do that too. I can say, I'm going to wake up yeah. at 
315. I've never used an alarm in my life. I don't. I have ever the backup. That's alarm. playing dangerous. No alarm. I, no, I, I, I don't. I, I have the backup alarm at least. Yeah, I, I've I never have, used an alarm ever. I have my alarm on my phone set, so I have to solve a simple math problem. What? Turn it off. I'm not a morning person. <laughs> what the hell does that at mean? So bitch? like, so like. My alarm's going off, and I, if I want to turn it off, and it just gets louder and louder, so that like I wake up and I'm looking so, at it, and I can't you, really you see. Do, because, you do need a pillow, so, so to be like, you <laughs> know, like your alarm under. It's like you want to turn your alarm off. All right, what's eight times five plus eight? Which you may not what? think is a tough problem when you're sitting here awake what right the now. Hell are I you can answer about? that now. Which was when I wake <laughs> up. Forty-eight. Is this an app? Yeah, it's a, the sleep app. See, I'm not a morning person. I wish I were a morning person. My my middle daughter, she's just up. But That's I, me. I'm like a jack in the box. I could go <laughs> now. Now that I've gotten old, I fall asleep at night. I used to never fall asleep at night. I've never taken a nap. But I still, once I am asleep, it and I'm out. Like I need help waking up. I I can tell myself I can sit there. I can go to bed on time. I'm gonna get up at five fifteen. I'm gonna get up at five fifteen. <laughs> I'm fucking six o'clock. Shit, I was supposed to be up at five fifteen. Have you Have you guys tried? Like on YouTube, there's these sound deals. I've never tried that. Oh. Doc, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, the, I'm the so pathetic about the sound of a fan. The wife and I went down to stay at the Arlington at Hot Springs. So I st- I've been there. And I had to turn, I, I pulled my laptop out and turned on a YouTube 12 hour video black screen of a sound of a fan. Okay. Yeah, so I, I, have, I have a fan going. I, I have my, my TV runs if, the whole time I'm asleep. So there's actually you guys do that. I the sleep TV? with a fan or air. I run. Ha- I got a TV. And I a hate fan it. going. I, honestly, the the fan deal is is tough for me. I I have to sleep with it because my wife. But if I could be quiet, I'm good. See, quiet will keep me awake. Yeah, yeah. that's same here. I've got bad enough tinnitus that if it's if it's quiet in a bedroom when I'm trying to sleep, it's like let me sing you the song of my people. <laughs> <laughs> Until I finally get up and turn on the goddamn fan. Just hearing you say that word, Bob decided to speak up a little bit. Hey man, I'm still here. Remember me? So there's a there's a there's a deal on YouTube, and you could put it on. I was I was looking at these sounds you could listen to while you sleep, and there was one of them said, "If you listen to this here, you're gonna have an erotic dream." And I thought, shit, what level do I turn the volume up? <laughs> and so I put this on, and it's like... Buddy Glyph. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, some hippie dingling and... Aborigine shit. Well, it's like not, yoga, yoga studio music? Kind of I've never... Martinez goes to a yoga deal, but I've never been. But I'm visualizing it, yeah, kind of like some of that yoga. Uh, and I go to sleep thinking at any time. There's going to be a sexual experience happen. And it never happens. No. Hell, I just kept waking up, turning that son bitch up. Have you guys ever listened to some of that uh, Native American, that flute music? That's kind of what this was. You can sleep to that? You know, I can't can't sleep sleep to anything like that. When I get a massage, that gal plays that shit. See, I can't sleep to anything like that because it's too irregular. The fan, there's nothing to really focus on but the drone. And if you add even some really mellow, like, whoo like it's still it's, how was that one more time <laughs> it's different you know it's not a steady noise so i i'm just going to focus on all the differences and so, it keeps you awake yeah so that leads me to my i, well, I, I, tried, ahead, the, I tried the uh, erotic one the thing, <laughs> yeah. and the whole time it was just my wife's voice on repeat going go ahead and buy that gun honey <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Spend more money on whiskey, honey. <laughs> All right. So I just heard you guys say, uh, lady came up to him and said, do, do you know the difference between light and and hard? He says, yeah, I can sleep with light on. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, Bill. All right. So I got my two questions. My two questions. First question is, is what kind of pocket knife do you carry? Zero tolerance. Let's see. Whoop that thing out. Either Zero Tolerance or Emerson. I've carried the same two brands for that's 25 a, years. That's a big old blade now. You use the whole thing? Sometimes. Or, or like real life, you just need the tip. <laughs> just need the I mean, am I, am I stabbing people or cutting cheesecake? It, it's, <laughs> you need the same tool to do both. I got you. Like a boy's And that's something that's got an edge on. It's got, yeah. They yeah, they're not, they're not any good if they're dull. So, Bill, what kind of knife do you carry? Well, I've got a case nice. pocket knife and I've got a... I think it's called Gurkle or something like that. It's a German knife. It's beautiful. A Gurkle? Okay. That's one of them little old. Not like a Gerber or anything. That's one of those little old pickles. Right it's like a little pickle. That's pretty. I just I passed like mine it. around to get other fingerprints on it. Just be honest. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot like that. It's called a Boker. Oh, Boker's a good knife. Yeah, Rich, what are you carrying? I got nothing on me. It's, 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 Rich, See, I'm, not, I'm not a real flashy guy, flashy knife guy, but. Rich, I'm going to do this for you, man. As he gets out, as he gets <laughs> no, out the I have uh, pocket knife. Pearl I'll, give, I'll give you this case knife if you carry it every day of your life. I've got pocket knives, man. There's no reason to give me. It's one of those things that I got out of the habit of when I was in the business what? casual world because uh, uh, the dress pants, it falls out of your pocket. And so... Uh, maybe that's why I never wore dress pants. <laughs> that's easy to solve. But... Now I'm out of it, so I got no. I knew you were gonna bust my I balls. For you. I know. I was sitting I there thinking, "Damn it, I, cheap blue jeans." So, so, what do you do if there's cheesecake, or you got to stab somebody? <laughs> I mean, this is like a moral conundrum. <laughs> Man, uh, I get stabbed, and I don't get cheesecake. <laughs> oh, what a bad way to die! Gets out as my pillow. Doc, <laughs> Doc, do you feel naked without your knife? Absolutely. Yeah, it's one of those things that you have to put in your pocket. As soon as with you, your car keys and your chain, yeah, like you, yeah, it's, if you leave, it's like leaving with you go to work without your watch and just yeah. you're aware of it all day. Yes, so, I will. I will stop on our our driveway's like twenty minutes long, and I will stop when I if I realize that. Yeah, go back. Oh, oh crap! What I forget? You're off balance, it. dude. It's yes. you're off balance oh, with that. So, so did it jack with you when you were flying? Not to have a parking knife. Mm -hmm. That's the whole reason I've, I've I put been, the luggage I've been in having the box. some anxiety for the last two or three days. Having to fly, and they said no parking knife, no. A couple, couple of weeks back, the wife and I went on a on a cruise down to like uh, Belize and Roatan, and you had to go through like TSA security to get what both on the plane yeah. to fly down yeah. to the the port. But that whole week, I spent the whole time. Every time I like go through a door, you like walk off our stateroom, and I'd be like, "Where's yeah. my knife?" Oh yeah, that just moment of panic. Exactly. Yeah. And then you're like, "Oh, I'm on a cruise ship," you know. You still need so you got to check a bag. So you could get your knife with you. As long as it's in your luggage that goes in the cargo hold, you're well, good. See, I'm not checking a bag. I'm doing a carry-on. Well, that's what we didn't even take a carry yeah. We didn't take yeah, check that's luggage. That's what I was going to do. I didn't want to. Yeah, well, that's the whole reason I did. I option. paid the 35 bucks just so I could have my knife. Because I, I knew. I figured I'd go there and buy me one. Just well, carry it the whole time yeah, but I'm there. See, even though I'm not carrying one, you want to have a good one, especially if you're on a guana hunt. So I, yeah, wanted, I have a massive aversion to gas station so knives. You took so I one, but you just buy one when I get there. I had to check back because I knew I, I literally knew that the most dangerous thing I was doing was staying in that house. So how big a deal would it be to carry a take a pistol? To if you're foreign, going country, yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah. Okay. 
It's a big deal. I mean, I'm just... It goes from state to state, like flying from here to Texas or something. No big deal. Throw it in your check baggage and declare it and off you go. But so yeah, out of country is big deal. Matter of fact, so just, there's a like, sign Like there. a pocket knife, I just buy one when I get one. Yeah, when there's a there. sign there at TSA, and I believe it says it's a $14,000 fine if they find a gun that you accidentally had in your bag. And really, matter if... That's a check bag or a carry-on? The bag that's going through TSA. Your check bag or carry-on don't okay. matter. If you got to declare it. You got to declare that you got it or it's a big time deal. I mean, I would declare it. I'm just wondering how big a deal it would be to take, go to another country. Well, most of those other countries don't allow firearms on their own. Yeah, people. that would be the big issue is dealing with customs both directions. Yeah. Our, yeah. our side and theirs. Right. If you don't like foreign So the answer is no. The answer. Well, depending on what you're doing, a lot of guys go overseas to hunt. Right. You know, and take take a long gun, right. take a long gun or shotgun with them. Right. But normally you have a fixer on the other country where you're going to. Exactly. Who, who knows all the locals and the customs and right. second question. What does the word liberty mean to you? Personal freedom. The ability to do what I want and be left alone as long as I'm not hurting anybody else. Do you have freedom without liberty? I think they're too closely related to be separable. That's a good answer. This guy's pretty sharp, man. Yeah, he's all right. Uh, what do you got there? All right. And uh, normally I only ask one question, but in uh, honor of the man who, uh, you know, there was a scientist at one point, I believe it was a scientist who said, if I appear great, it's only because I stand on the shoulders of giants. Now, I probably appear small at this point, but I am standing on the shoulder of a giant in the man who I have uh, slipped into this seat for. So in his honor, I'm going to ask his questions and keep those alive and add on mine. So I'll get started with his. Doc. What brings you joy? Like big joy or little joy? It could be any. Big joy, little joy. Oh, sometimes it's joy. something as simple as opening a good pocket knife. <laughs> you know, I mean, just like there's a, there's a tactile sense of joy when that little thing snaps into blade snaps into place and it's 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 sharp and it's ready to go. Um, and it gives it the double click click. Yeah. Mm. You know, like the four clicks on an old Colt revolver. Yeah. When that hammer comes back, that mechanical sense of joy is there, but also uh, serving other people. Um, that bottle of bourbon over there was was quite joyful. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Of course, Murphy dog jumps in there. He knows. I, I do like a good puppy. That's why he stood up. Or, says, "Wait a minute. What are you? Yeah, what are you yeah, missing yeah. here, pal?" I know there's an extra headphone and microphone over there. Headset, microphone, Dad. Put me on. What was your second one, Rich? Yeah. Uh, my second one is. Uh, what do you think makes a quality man? Oh, that's a tough one. It's a tough one to narrow down. Uh, integrity, dependability, um, something as simple as just like from punctuality to doing what you say you're going to do to help. Those. I judge people if you return your copping cart and how you tip your bartender. Those are good answers. As a, former, uh, as a former restaurant worker yes. who uh, still tips too much, I appreciate that. And then lastly, what do you want your legacy to be? I've given it zero thought. <laughs> well, I've got, I've got like no, no kids. I'm the last of our, of our family name and have, I'm content just to let it fade away. You know, there's no, I can see if I was a father or something, that would be, you, you know, know, like you'd want your, I want smart, successful, so well-balanced children. I mean, you know, what am I going to leave behind a, 
Well, that is, trained dog. That is the uh, answer. But, you know, uh, not to answer the question for you, it looks like the a potential legacy for you is you finding healing in finding your tribe and cooking for them and trying to help other people. So maybe those other people have kids. Maybe they just go on to have per, uh, good lives after the horrors that they've seen. So don't discount that, man. Oh, yeah. Well, I wouldn't. If, if that's the case, I wouldn't be disappointed in it. Yeah. Because you so, don't even know you're gone, do you? No, yeah, presumably it's, <laughs> you know, it will no longer be a pressing concern of mine. Right. Well, I, I'll do this. I'll I'll tell, remind the listeners about Value for Value. Thank you, sir. And uh, Value for Value is, is if you like this show, hey, we need, we need some support. And so some of the support is, is it doesn't cost a lot to operate this podcast, but what it does, it takes a little bit of money to maintain it. And that money goes in to make sure that this winds up on Spotify and Apple and all of those things, that there's a cost there. And if we could recoup that cost by you giving a donation, that's great. Uh, we've never turned down a single bottle of whiskey on the whole I don't show. Think we have. Um, just like our dear friend, old Mr. B. Right. What's the name of the hot sauce again? GWB. GWB hot sauce. Man, we... We devoured it. We learned that we like a mustard hot sauce. I'm going to take this mustard with me. You bet. All uh, right. Look up online. You can look up this GWB hot sauce. And like I say, if you're a military guy, they're going to knock 20% right off of, of your bill. Kind of ties in well with the show that we had tonight. Absolutely. Um, Doc, it, it's an honor knowing you. Man, I, I know we're going to have a friendship in the future. We're definitely going to cook with each other. Um, I'm going to show up and eat. And... Uh, man, thank you for your service. It's it's something that you spent a few years doing and it's hanging with you for the rest of your life. And, and that's a burden that not a lot of us know. Um, I know you've done good deeds in your life. And uh, I, I pray that those outweigh the horrors that you've seen. And, and I hope someday you find peace in all of that because you, you are a quality man. You're a good dude. And uh, I'm sure our listeners picked up on that. And to keep on going with the sentimental deal, if you do find that pillow, that works, man. If you could just pass that <laughs> in. Or, or, any, or yeah. any of our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> if you Especially just, if you're a stomach sleeper. Yeah. And I'm I'm not. I'm just like Doc. We, you know. Hey, there might be somebody out there that has a pillow that works for everybody. It, Maybe it so. is. And we Star, will accept. Starfish up, starfish down, starfish <laughs> left, well, starfish right. If I wake up one day and go out and there's a box and it's got. Uh, four pillows for us and one for Doc. Hey, that's value for value. We'll get it right to them. So with that said, we've got some shows coming up uh, e to tie into the Eclipse. We've got an uh, uh, Eclipse dude coming. Astronomer. Uh, I think we're going to hit him. what they call him? Get him with the technical terms now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll ask him about why you don't sleep with the full moon. Well, I'm not going to be here, Joe. Oh, we'll ask him for you why. Yeah, why you got to tune in, can you? Uh, going to be out of the country. Uh, we also, we've got a, we're going to do an on-site show at a moonshine, moonshine, moonshine deal. Um, Which should be a very sober affair. And we've got a, yeah, we've got a storm chaser coming up. A storm chaser. Um, if you guys, deal. yep. Value for value also, time, treasure, and talent. So if you've got uh, somebody that you think we all need to listen to, um, Bill will hit them with those hard questions. And uh, we'll sit around the table and talk to it. But uh, we'll we'll leave you this. The, the deal is, is 
once again tonight, we reiterated the fact that one of the easiest ways to heal is through friendship and sitting around in a circle, having a little fire, having a little flesh, right? And doing shit that men's been doing for millions and millions of years. And if it was good for them back then, it's probably good for us now. And uh, I'd stay away from the news if I was you. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, so on news front, we've got Black Bear Bonanza, yep. m- uh, March 9th at the uh, Bentonville. Benton County Fairgrounds. Benton County Fairgrounds. Thank you. And then Thursday night this week, Fayetteville, 7 p.m., the veterans portion of Arkansas BHA is doing a pint night at Mad Rooster. Let me look, make sure I get this right. I think it's Mad Rooster Brewing, Fayetteville. Okay. I'm double checking, double checking. When was the Black Bear Bonanza? What was the date on that? March 9. That would be a Saturday. Yep, good family-friendly deal. At uh, Game and Fish is bringing out the big aquarium truck. There be live animals, dead animals. There will be all uh, kinds of showcases of that. Pack goats, uh, Umarex, air rifles are setting up a range. I think uh, Game and Fish is bringing out the little kids' archery range. Mm-hmm. I think, but not sure. Um Confirmed Mad Rooster Brewing Company, February 29th, 7 p.m. for our veterans portion inaugural pint night. Very good. Well, that's this. And that's, then uh, Snake Mountain Pat Goat is doing a open to the public, but it's a paid to participate event for the solar eclipse. Good deal. So look for Snake Mountain Pat Goats on uh, Facebook or Instagram. Hey, if you're one of our listeners and you ain't found a way to volunteer for something or to help out your community, whatever you want to say community is, it's about time you get out and do it, and that's all I got, gentlemen. Go Doc, ahead. thanks for being here, buddy. Yeah. Appreciate you guys listening to me blather on. All right. Thank you so you much. You guys just invited me so you could play with Murphy. I know I know how this role works. Yeah, yeah. It was really just the You dog. just put that service pass so you could carry that sucker to Lowe's and shit. The uh, funny story, talk about carrying a, a firearm on travel. I had, his predecessor was a big chocolate lab named Toma, and his vest had pockets. Well, I was living in a neighborhood in, in Washington where we had a, a boat ramp and a beach and a you know, little fishing dock. It was part of our neighborhood. So like every time in the afternoon, in the summertime, you'd walk down there and it'd be hot out. So you're just going in like swim shorts and, you know, swim trunks and flip flops. Sexy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, rocking it. And uh, there was some people that were squatting in one of the houses nearby and they had these pit bulls that kind of ran feral. So I started throwing my nine mil in Tumba's vest pocket. And we ended up putting one of the dogs down at the request of the, the county sheriff down there. And not even thinking about it, on the walk back afterward, I threw that pistol back in his vest pocket. <laughs> well, fast forward like three weeks, I'm flying through TSA, and I didn't have the pistol on me, or he didn't. And uh, But they, when you go through the airport with a service dog, they send they take the dog's collar off, send him through, then they swab him with the... Gunpowder deal. Yeah, oh, the, yeah, the testing for the, the chemical test. What about the time that they put it in there and the machine beeped? And the whole place just kind of comes to a standstill, you know? And they're like, sir, come here. I kind of shuffle over and I'm like, can I help you? Like, there's got to be a really good story behind why your service dog just tested positive for cordite. And I'm like, well, yeah, he carries my gun. <laughs> they're like, what? I'm like, okay, it's not often, but occasionally he, I put my pistol in his, right. his pocket. And they're like, I don't understand. I'm like, is it illegal for my dog to carry? Does That bitch ain't got a thumb anyway. <laughs> yeah, he can't, he can't even take the safety off. Be real. Can't shoot for shit. Yeah, but I about got arrested one time at TSA for my service dog testing. That's funny. T- thinking, they thinking he had a firearm on him. 
Well, great show. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Great show. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been Cooking Up a Story with Aaron and Joe's, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Love you. They're into barbecue cooking women. Say they're good looking into me. There ain't a way to go wrong. If you're out at the lake or with the hippies getting baked, they're going to love it if you turn it on. If laughter and good times, tall tales and big lies fall under your category, get with Aaron and Joe's because you know you want to go and hear them cooking up a story. Just get with Aaron and Joe's, hey, you know you want to go and hear them cooking up a story.